Hey there, and uh, welcome to episode six of Sweetman Podcast. This is Simon Sweetman, I'm your host. Um, I'm the guy who goes and finds people to talk to for this podcast. Um, this episode is Phil O'Brien. Phil's a, a radio guy. Um, probably you know him from Matinee Idol on Radio New Zealand National. Um, and also Saturday Nights is his new slot that he's doing, but uh, he's got over 40 years experience in the radio industry, so he's worked for the commercial stations, he's done a lot of stuff for Radio NZ, he's been a newsreader, he's been a um, guy that fills in for hosts, had his own shows, he's been a music publicist, he's been a musician, played drums, and we get talking about that, all of that stuff, and uh, we, we really just had a fun chat where we talked a lot about music. We talked about music reviewing, um, we talked about interviewing techniques, I guess, and, and shared stories about interviewing, and it was a lot of fun. Phil came around to my house and we talked for a couple of hours, so, so buckle up, it's a, it's a long chat. Um, we... I know Phil, I know him mostly online, but I have um, I've met him a few times over the years and, and I've, I've had the pleasure of being a guest on Matinee Idol, so we got to talk about that too. I've, I've actually seen the madness go on live in the studio of that wonderful um, summer holiday show and, and public holiday show, and hopefully I'll be back up there again this season when they kick off. I've had, I've had the invite, so um, hopefully I'll get to go up and have some more chats with Phil and Simon Morris on here there and uh, maybe I'll get Simon Morris along to do a, a Sweetman podcast at some point I think that'll be quite fun get, get his version of events I hope you enjoy this uh, Phil's got so many good stories and I think he's a really great storyteller and it was it was a really great pleasure to to have a couple of hours with him so as I say buckle up and enjoy you do Saturday nights as the main thing that's all I do. Saturday nights and, and idol, idol make my idol on uh, public holidays and a few weeks over summer. Yeah, yeah. that's my lot. Yeah. So what happens the rest of the week? The rest Apart of the week, I have Facebook. I, I have another life. <laughs> yeah. um, my partner, my girlfriend, organises events, big events, and we do a few Wellington ones, like the Wellingtonian of the Year is yeah. one of them. We do the Gold Awards. Uh, we're doing that Rembrandt exhibition that's going around at the moment. So I work, this is her and her business partner, but yeah. I work with them and I do all the um, audiovisual stuff, the technical yeah. and uh, voiceovers and editing videos and stuff. So it's kind of a second job. Mm, mm, mm. But, and uh, it's using your skills and using your, my skills. Your, um, your... And I've got a little studio set up at home and things and I just yeah. work from there. It's lovely. You know, yeah. I'm too old to do anything else, so it's great. Yeah. Um, what, what, what I kind of want to do is, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a wee bit over the years, probably yeah. mostly online, but we've, we've met and you've had me on, on the wireless, on, the, on, the wireless um, on Idle, but I, I, what I want to know is, is kind of, I guess, um, I thought maybe if we can talk about Saturday nights, that's in, in the new yeah. current gig, mm. um, talk about that to begin with and then go all the way sure. back and then Absolutely. end up back at Saturday nights, if right. it's being that I'm talking to you on a Saturday, Fantastic. if we can get back in time for yeah, <laughs> Saturday no night. Yep. Um, so, so when did you start Saturday nights? The Saturday night gig came up, and I was just thinking about this before, I think it's just over a year, I think it was mm. August of last year. The show had been hosted by Peter Fry for a very long time and it had become a bit of an institution in that it was the last of the legitimate request programs in that uh, 
on commercial radio it tends to be ring up and request a song and we'll play it as long as it's one of the 230 songs that we've already got in our yeah. playlist. And I mean, and that's not kidding, that's yeah. how it works, you know. But hang on, just just a minute, how long is a long time in Radio New Zealand years? Because uh, yeah, I think you're doing about 17 years. Okay. So yeah. it was a long that's time. Good. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it, was the la- it was the last of the, well, it was the only, as far as I'm aware, genuine request show that yeah. doesn't matter what they ask for, that we will play it, you know, it's as simple as that. And um, I remember this coming up because at one stage I got a request for a 28-minute Bob Marley track and I went to to John Pilly in the music library and said, oh, 28 minutes, I'm playing a 28-minute Bob Marley track. And he went, well, why not? I mean, we can. You know, no one else would ever do it, so why shouldn't we do it if that's what they've asked for? Yeah, you have someone that's asked you for it, so... Oh, absolutely, and will yeah. genuinely play it, and that's why I find it a little difficult when people say, oh, man, you you know your music, you pick the music. I haven't picked, most of it is, is requests, and about three or four songs an hour I play, but I choose, but uh, the rest of it is you, everyone out there asking for it, and, from, you know, literally from Abba Zappa, from... Um, I'm just thinking of tonight, Richard Tauber, I've got some Maria Lanza, I've got some um, Boston Pops, you mm. know, and then I've got a 60-year-old who's asked for a Grateful Dead song for his birthday party. Yeah, I was looking at the other week's playlist just before and I saw, like, sorts of names you've named and, and, and some of those sorts of nostalgics and then, like, uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service. Yeah, exactly. And something that, like, you know, it's 40 years old, 50 mm. years old, whatever, but it's it's not... Um, a nostalgia act. No, not at all. They still sound quite. Um, what's the you know? Uh, People you have pick up their traces and bands that are happening today. You know. It's so, interesting that so. Gary Moore, who was the former mayor of Christchurch, is a regular listener to the show. He opens a bottle of port and um, they sit down in front of the fire in winter or out in the deck in summer. And he said, "We listen to it right through." And I said, "Really? You, you like all that music?" He said, "It gives me a really good indication of how the country is at the moment, like mm. what they're asking for. If mm. people are feeling positive, people are feeling up, and things." And I've never looked at it like that, but the tradition always was on that program when Peter was doing it, and even before Peter doing it, forty years I think this program's been going. Um, it it's been. It's never been called a request show. It's just turned into yes, one. Yeah. And even now we don't, pardon me, we don't call it a request program, yeah. but it is. And the only change really since I've taken over um, has been the immediacy of the requests in that I'll look on Facebook and someone will ask for a song on there or a text yeah. will come through. And a classic case, and this is where the, the whole request thing works so well, is about three weeks ago I got a desperate email from a guy saying, I'm in so much trouble, I forgot my wedding anniversary, could you play this song for us? So I played the song and said, I've had this email sitting here for a couple of weeks, he asked for it, he's, he's been looking forward to this day, you know, all the just lying through my teeth and mm. got the guy out of the crap and my work here is done. As far as I'm concerned, if you can do that, and it's genuine old-fashioned radio requests. And so you're you're going to stick at it for a bit, obviously, by the sounds that you, you you're not I put off it. by your year and a bit there at all. You're, no, man, I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it, and I find myself genuinely, and it sounds so patronising to say this, but it's true, and I find myself thanking people for requesting a particular song because I might not have heard it, or someone else has written and said, oh, God, or I you haven't heard it for ages. Yeah, yeah, and it's just yeah. like, oh, I would never have thought to have played yeah. that. Yeah. And um, for years, for years and years, I've said that um, radio stations in particular, commercial radio stations in particular, have underestimated the musical 
knowledge and taste of people out there because commercial radio is notorious for just ramming it down your throat. I mm. saw an ad for a commercial station today and said, Cliff Richard, the Bee Gees, Queen, we play it all. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. This is exactly right. I saw an interview with Elton John a while ago and he said, no one ever plays Laura Nero, uh, Laura yeah. Nero or um, David Ackles, two of the great yeah. songwriters. And I went, I do. Well, people don't play Joni Mitchell apart from Big Yellow Sexy, do they? Know. You know what I mean? Exactly, like, yeah. yeah. And that's, I believe that Radio New Zealand National, Radio New Zealand National, the one thing we must not do is play all this stuff that everyone else does. There's absolutely no need to. And so I'm trying to avoid it. I go a little, nah, when I get a request for Jenny Morris breaking the weather or um, I got Elton John candle in the wind a couple of weeks ago. Mm. But hey, I say I'll play it. So yeah. you know. But if they all started coming in like that, I'd get a bit. You know. There's that thing of like um, people that DJ somewhere, like in a club or whatever, or Spotify playlists. Now, the old sort of obvious song can be slipped in there and mm. sound quite different in a different context. So yeah. something like "Candle in the Wind" can work if you're not going to play. You know, some other obvious California right afterwards. Next to it. Yeah, That's right. exactly. Yeah. And if you do put them in like that, it's fine. Um, you're right, you can. And there's always a story with it, too. Um, well, there's usually a really good story with it. So um, the story will justify playing it. And I mean, Candle in the Wind is a great song. You know, I'm sick to death of it. I never yeah. want to hear it again in my life. But it is a really good song. So, yeah. you know, in yeah. the, the, who am I to judge? You know? I sort of arrived on this at this. Um, uh, understanding a wee while ago that I think it was um, writing writing the book that I did about New Zealand songs and thinking about Don't Dream It's Over I, it kind of went you know and how bizarre it's kind of like yeah. it's, it's not actually the fault of the song that it gets ruined it's it's our fault you know it's the people that, <laughs> exactly and so yeah. and that when you talking about what you're doing with them when you mm. when you sneak one in because someone who's listening wants it and you play some other things less obvious around yeah. it, that's kind of a way of rediscovering the song and reminding yourself exactly. of those nice things about the song. The trouble is, I don't know if this happens to you, but it definitely happens to me. In years of playing, you know, 40 minute rotates and things and having to play songs over and over, you get to the point where you never want to hear it again. Mm. And from that moment on, you never want to hear it again. 20 years later, I can listen to the song and go, oh, now I know why I hate it so much. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it just it just stays with you. The time doesn't always heal. Yeah, totally. It, it, it does happen with me with certain things. Mm. It, it happens um, to me with um, albums that I've listened to mm. just just to review and I've played them and played them and I've sort of, I've loved them and I've written sort of, um, I guess effusively about them or, mm. you know, whatever and, and then I don't actually want to hear them again, like after a certain point, which is, which seems funny, but yeah, it happens. It's strange and, and I've gone back to albums that I thought, uh, you know, 30 years ago I loved this and I'll play it to my partner and say, oh God, I love this album, I haven't heard it forever, you know, mm. and I listen to it and they go, it's awful. It's just, I can't stand it anymore, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I guess I don't know if that happens you to have, everybody. You have that thing where, or oh, I have this thing too with, uh, I think a, a really important part of it is the voice. Mm. So vocally with a song or with a style of music or, or with a particular singer, I can pretty much just, uh, all I can put it down to is one day I'll wake up and realise this person whose music mm. I've collected and listened to, over time I've decided mm. that I can't stand their voice their voice has worn yeah. off on me and I've had yeah. enough of it and I you know it, it, this, it, this doesn't happen with every artist you listen to but I think like 
maybe the quite quirky voiced mm. singers, the, the sort of non-singing singers that happens to quite a bit. You just yeah. get, I just get completely over their voice. I decide, what was I ever hearing there? Mm. And then sometimes after 10 years, it comes back. I always find that if that happens, if it is a voice that annoys me or something, but I really like the song, I'll go and find something else find in the song new, yeah. that I really like about it. Yeah, or know. a new version of the song. A new Sometimes version of the, works. the cover version can yeah. resell you on a song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm big, I'm big on cover versions. I like cover versions, but I particularly like cover versions where they haven't just done it note for note. What's yeah. the point? What's the point, man? You know, something like Pink Turtle, that French outfit who do sort of Django Reinhardt type versions of songs. And you think, oh yeah, that's kind of cute, you know, and this is what Simon Morris, who's yeah. the world's most cynical man, will go, oh yeah, that's all right, it's okay, you know. And yeah. I think, but hang on, don't listen to it as a cover of that song, just listen to it as, you know, this fantastic, beautiful style, it's great, you know. I think so, sometimes you can get away with a note-for-note note cover if it's um, uh, still a bit boring to most people, probably. <laughs> but but if it's showing off, if there's a degree of difficult, I'm thinking of like Todd Rundgren doing the oh, faithful, yeah. where he like yeah. recreated things like um, Good Vibrations. Yeah. So you know what he's which which I would I would never say you should listen to his version of the original. So in that sense, he didn't succeed. No. But but I can see the point of what he was trying to do, which but was... he's too clever by a third. I mean, oh, you listen to his acapella album, which yeah. Johnny Jingo and stuff like that, with all those yeah. amazing vocals, that is so clever. You see, I'm nerdy enough to be impressed by that. I'm yeah. nerdy enough to yeah. listen to Chicago and think those horn arrangements are spectacular. Of course. You know, and... Uh, and, and like everyone else, I pretended it was rubbish, you know, and I, I can't stand this stuff, and you hit it down the back behind the stereo, and when no one's there, you drag them out and yeah. play them. Yeah. I had a wonderful eye-opening moment years ago on Matinee Idol, many years ago, where I played the Carpenter's Goodbye to Love. Oh, yeah. And I said, this has got one of the great guitar yeah, solos. Absolutely. It's an amazing solo, and there's two solos in there, and check it out. And I got this email from this woman who said, thank you for letting us come out of the closet here, now we can mm. play this, and the kids don't go, you go, no, listen, listen to this, and listen to her pitch for a start, you know, yeah, and, yeah. but that guitar solo was spectacularly good, but no one gets past the first three words. And, and the way she sells those forlorn oh. lyrics, those stories, of, uh, when I say those stories, like in, in Simple yeah, Carpenter's song, absolutely. that's a great example of it. But that's the sort of guitar solo that you'd, um, you know, hide on a Steely Dan yeah. album and it would yeah. be okay. You have yeah. all the guitar students telling you how wonderful it was. You see, that's another one, Steely Dan. I know it's not cool to no. like, you're not a Steely Dan fan. Oh, no, 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 I am. You are? No, oh, am. so am I, man. Yeah. No, and no, I, no. I met um, Will Lee, who played bass on Fagan's solo album, Yeah. Uh, and I met him on holiday once, and we were talking about a particular song that he'd done on, I can't remember the name of the album, the song's Walk Between Raindrops. It's the last track on yeah. Nightfly. Yep. It was a Donald Fagan album, and I asked him about recording that. And he said they spent, it's a two and a half minute track with a nice little walking bass line. He said, we spent five months on the backing and mm. Fagan would come in and he came in after a few months and went, right, we're getting there. <laughs> and they said, just stop. We yeah. can't do this any better. And how they would literally, you know, he would take that one snare out of that take yeah. and put it in here. Yeah. And I always remember his description. I said, what were the sessions like? He said, very intense. He said, not a lot of fart jokes. Yeah. It's still in <laughs> sessions, you know. And I said, man, that's the other extreme. And yes. I'll, I'll get a request for Steely Dan and people instantly email, oh, this is so pretentious and it, this and that. Well, yeah, but it's not bad. You know, it's uh, Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I kind of, I, I sort of understand that there are people out there that just don't have time for Steely mm. Dan and, and, and perhaps have been 
told the story even before listening to it that mm. this is clever music and that that mm. might put them off or that this is pretentious yeah. and um but yeah, I, I sort of think about these songs with these witty, sardonic, oh, quite man. evil lyrics. Absolutely. But, but also, you know, you can just kind of dig the groove. Mm. Well, I mean, how uncool does that sound, dig the groove? But, like, but it's true, right. like Kid Charlemagne, you know, yeah. it's a song like that. Exactly. To me, it's got this sort of strange mm. white funkiness about it. Yeah. That, um, you know, that uh, usually is wrong when you, when you describe something as white funkiness, that's kind of wrong, but they, they have something and, and... Well, this is the whole point. This is what I'm saying. Saturday night, the, the radio program is, there are no rules. You, you don't... People who go around saying... People who dismiss an entire genre of music, oh, I can't listen to disco, I can't, you know. Yeah. Someone, a very famous musician, once said to me, you listen to disco music at three o'clock in the afternoon, it sounds completely different. Yeah, you know, listen to what it is. So what I'm trying to do and what we've always tried to do on a Saturday night is say, no, it's not, you know, people apologise requesting some of this yeah. stuff. Oh, no one else will like this. They will. Yeah. Because every single song on the planet is at least one person's favourite song. Yeah. Right? So, every, you know, there is no such thing. Um, uh, that's why I always find it interesting when people email, I'll play something that might be a bit off the edge. And I played a um, some 18-minute prog thing the other night and we've got howls of derision. What was that, that half-of-the-year song? It was nice. It was nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> it was one track. <laughs> and um, someone wrote in and started moaning and complaining and I thought, you're complaining about a song. It's like complaining about gravity. I mean, you know, you don't you can't complain about it. So it's just a song. You know, if you don't like it, that's fine. But man, these people that they're so passionate and that is absolute rubbish and that must never be played on the radio again. Instantly followed by play it again, it's great. So you'll never make everyone happy and at some point I, I got a whole on one Saturday night, they were all, everyone was moaning and carrying on, and it was just one of those bad nights. Yeah. And I, was, I just had enough, and I said on air, you know what? I'm trying the best here. I'm trying to play a bit of everything. Now, will you just stop it? And instantly, everyone goes, oh, we love you. Don't stop. It's great. It's great. And I thought, no, come on. Give us a break here, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they'll moan and carry on about stuff. And I thought, you don't, don't moan about the music. Just listen to it. And, uh, God... There's a great story of a lawyer friend of mine in Christchurch who, when Matinee Idol first started, he was hearing all this great stuff, and every time he'd hear a track he liked, he'd run outside to a record store down the road and buy the CD, yeah. sight unseen, just heard the one track he liked. His record was one day, he bought 12. He made 12 trips backwards and forwards. <laughs> and then I got an email from him once saying, who's that Sydney band I really like? I said, I've got no idea who you really like. And, but they get so, the music, it, it's the old cliche, isn't it? Oh, it brings everyone together and stuff. But man, it really does. So how have you found um, the this sort of social media age of being involved in radio where, because I mean, you're, you're, I know you're active on Facebook or, or sometimes spreadingly mm. active on Facebook. So, and Matinee Idol certainly has its... Mm. Um, has a page that mm. people um, <laughs> uh, post on uh, sort of emphatically um, yeah. in, a, in a very sort of um, dedicated sense and, and, and 
you know, try to match mm. your guy's knack for um, finding obscure things. So how do you find interacting with that, yeah. and what does that mean to you? It's I love it. I talked to uh, Murray Ingalls, who I think is about 125 right. now, and I said to him, how are you liking all this, you know, doing everything automated now from the old days when we both played vinyl and stuff, and he said, I love it. And he's the only other one I've found who's yeah. saying, this is terrific. Yeah. The, the automation that we have for a start, um, and that, well, at the moment we're rapidly getting rid of CDs and everything's just coming off a server. Yeah. So we don't even have to play CDs. I'm still coming to terms with CDs, for God's sakes, you know. But now we're going this other way. Um, and I will still play vinyl on here. We still yeah. get a few requests for that. But the whole, that technology side of it, I love it. It's so much easier now. And we've got Spotify and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the interacting with people is an absolute dream. And, and that came home to me on the second year of Matinee Idol when we had cameras in the studio. James Thompson was producing and we had these cameras in the studio and we'd never done it before. Yeah. And it was this was 10 years ago maybe, and it was a bit high tech. And I'll never forget, we just started the show and I got an email from New York, from a guy in New York saying, be careful you don't knock that Coke can over with your elbow. Mm. And I looked down and there was this Coke can sitting and I thought, this is a guy in New York who saw this on screen, has emailed us, and I had that sort of light bulb moment. I went, it's all changed now, isn't it's it? Different. <laughs> it's completely different. And a lot of requests, a lot, maybe 20% of the requests we get on a Saturday night are from overseas. We get a lot of people in Germany for some reason. It's breakfast time when they're listening to it. They've been to New Zealand. They want to listen to the program. Uh, a lot from Asian countries, a lot of expats that are listening. And in fact, it's no longer a novelty now. It's yeah, just yeah. become part of the course. So. Facebook is part of that. We don't have an official Facebook presence because Radio New Zealand being the state broadcaster yes. means that it would have to be monitored or have to be run by them, which is fair enough. You know, that's um, that's the way it should be because mm. otherwise anyone can get in there and say what they like. Mm. There are these unofficial pages that I have nothing to do with, but I do keep my eye on from time to time yeah. and just go and have a look. And again, it's all about the music. That's all it is. They've all got this. They've all listened to the show. They've heard something a bit weird and they've gone, ah, oh, here's someone else who likes it. There are others mm. out there. Mm. I know of two weddings and at least one divorce is a direct result of the show from people arguing about music or discovering music, they're confirmed, there are probably others. <laughs> and you think, this is the power of radio, mm. you know, old-fashioned radio, mm. and that's why I'm gonna, I've got another year to run on my contract for Saturday night, and I'm gonna stick it, and if they'll have me, I'll be there. Yeah, you know, I'll, yeah. um, I'll, stay there, I'll stay there forever, because I'm hanging on by my fingernails. It's the last bastion of old-fashioned, real, live radio. And when someone sends a text saying, I'm just driving home, seen so-and-so in concert, could you play a song of theirs? And I think, I've got that right here, and five minutes later I can play it. Again, the novelty of that's worn off. I mean, yeah. that's the way people expect it. And so anyone can go online and hear any of this music the way they, any time they want. I'm well aware of that, so I've got to offer exactly that, plus a bit more. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and if that's the curation of it, curating of it, you know. But what about, um, I'm thinking also, you know, like, you, you well, you can take me to where you came from in a minute with this, but you know I grew up fascinated by the voice in the radio, and there's mm. that there's that wonderful Bill Mannheim poem about the voice in the radio, mm. the person that climbs into the radio mm. to do their job, and and so people, the audience forever kind of wonders about that. Now they have a little bit of an eye into mm. that; they can find people yeah. online, interact with them. 
Was it? Has it been the same for you, <laughs> for as one of the voices in the radio? Do you wonder what the people listening to you are like? Yeah. Uh, not so much what they look like and who they are, but just even why they're listening to you. And you can now probably find a bit of that out. Sometimes you perhaps don't want to, and just information that comes to you whether you want to or not. No, you can, you can find it, and it's really interesting. Saturday night's a great example of that because they all get together on this Facebook page mm. at 7 o'clock, and they all do a little roll call. Everyone's there. <laughs> right. And they've all got a bottle of something. Yeah. So by 10 o'clock, they're pissed, and they start <laughs> getting really, oh, I really love you, man. You know, there's lots of that going on, and their real requests yeah. come out. Yeah. You know, it's like Simon and I used to do this thing on Idol where we'd say, what was the first record you ever bought? And they'd tell us, and we'd go, okay, now, really, what was the first yeah. record you yeah. Because it's always different. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's good. They'll say the cool one first, but yeah, the first yeah. one is never a cool one. And um, you talk about the voices in the radio. I was thinking about this when I was driving in, when I knew I was talking to you today. And I, I thought back, when I was about 12 or 13, I distinctly remember going to a beach in Wellington in the middle of summer with my brother and my cousins and everything, and we took a radio. And it was a Saturday afternoon, and this guy was playing this music, and it was Lou Christie, he was playing a Lou Christie song, which I really liked. And I thought at the time, that's got to be the best gig in the world. You've got people sitting in the sun, and you're ed not educating them or entertaining. You're doing something, you're playing something. Something in between. You're going, to listen to this. This is yeah. great. Check this out, because that's how I took it. That's how I listened to the people on the radio. My, my late dad was a journalist, and he was occasionally on being interviewed on TV and radio. So as a kid, I used to go along with him, and that was it. it you know, it's the oldest line. I was hooked, man, straight mm. away. But I literally was, and I, I used to go along at 12, 13, 14 years of age and um, just watch these people working and listening to this music. And I remember at the very start, when I started listening to the radio, I, I wanted to be a drummer because I thought it was the same person playing drums on every song <laughs> that I heard. So I thought, that's got to be a great gig and they yeah. can't last forever. So I, I learned to play drums and then realised that that's not quite how it works. But now when I play and I get a, I've got a request coming up tonight for someone who's just turning five. They want the Fred Dagg song because their dad yeah. used to sing it to them when they were little. And this is such a big deal. And um, I look at it and I think, you know what, I'm going to make a big fuss over this because this five-year-old is never going to forget that. Yeah, and yeah. I can remember the first request I ever had on radio. And you've got to remember that. You must never, ever think your audience, uh, you know, belittle them in any way. There's, a, there's an unwritten rule in radio that you never, ever say you don't like a particular mm -hmm. song. You never play a song and say that's rubbish, which is, of course, exactly what we do on Idol. But, you know, traditional radio, you never yeah, do that. I was going to say Priority FM. Yeah, exactly. Would have been an Derek. example of that. Yeah. yeah. Because people, apparently, the reason for that is that people go, well, if you didn't like it, why did you play it? Yeah. Because people think that the DJ picks the music. And I, yeah. like everyone, I thought that and found out, having been fired from a couple of radio stations for <laughs> doing exactly that, yeah. that that's not how it works, which is why Matinee Idol and, to a lesser extent, Saturday Night, they've entrusted me to pick the music. Yeah. It's a national broadcaster. I will never, ever take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. People don't get it, you know, that it is... It's a hell of a responsibility, you yeah. know, to do it. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what were the first steps for you um, after you had this, you talk about this realisation of, oh, of, yeah. of radio being this great gig. Before getting into radio, what were your sort of, well, you mentioned playing the drums, but were you a record collector? Were you no. a, or a listener? I was a huge listener. Well, I mean, my brother is is a terrific singer-songwriter, yeah. and um, Dennis and I shared a bedroom growing up. He's four years older than me, so 
for years and years we shared the room and he used to have this thing we'd have a transistor radio by on top of this little record player with a whole lot of pieces of paper and he used to get the lyrics of songs and they were all just sort of stacked up there and really late at night he'd turn the radio on and he'd hear oh, I haven't got I need that one and he'd put the light on find the piece of paper and get a few more words in mm. and I and he made me listen to a lot of stuff which I will forever be eternally grateful to him for that you know made me listen to stuff explain he's a much better musician than I would ever be and he was explaining the the mechanics of it of some of this music if you like and I was the little brother I just yeah man he, mm. he lock me in and make me listen to it you know mm. and so I learned all of that I I didn't collect records because he did mm. and so I played all his stuff mm. I didn't um, see the need to because he did it and to be honest because he was my big brother I'd say hey listen to this this is great and he'd say no it's rubbish and I'd say no you're right it's rubbish it's awful I hate it and it's only been to be honest it's only been the last 10 years that I've had yeah. the balls to turn around and say you were wrong man yeah, yeah. this is really good and um, I would uh, you know, he, I grew up with rooms, full, a room full of albums and 45s and when Dennis was in England or when he'd, you know, not, I'd get home from school before him and I'd go through them and pick out my favourites, so it was all done for me. Hugely influential, of course, but mm. then we did start drifting off into slightly different directions musically, but we both had the, the love and our first big love, and you're going to hate this, um, is we had this great love for real pop songs, 60s American pop songs, so mm. two and a half minute songs, just some some of the Four Seasons stuff, some of the most spectacularly well-written no, songs. No, you've got me wrong. I, I love all that stuff. Yeah. And I think... I think um, but it's not cool to, apparently. Oh, yeah, but I've never been cool and, and I've never yeah. tried to be, which has uh, worked out quite well for me. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but I, think, I think, thinking about it now, um, I kind of always did took that stuff too I, mm. that's not something that I've come to later on I mean I wouldn't have heard it at the time obviously and, and as mm. much of it but I'm thinking about for me growing up um, radio songs old old songs on the radio things my parents still had or mm. talked about were always of interest to me and what about your parents record collection was that a biggie for you yeah yeah totally. you can still that see was, the covers yeah absolutely yeah. that was yeah. it that was it's huge isn't it and yeah and and they, they sort of I've never forgiven them for getting rid of so much of it yeah. they just kind of they they just kind of jumped on the CD Mm. Um, bandwagon as the new fan oh. technology and gave records away yeah. and in fact they gave away a lot bef even before that mm. and I've but I have still got some of their records and mm. I kind of hold them you know I sort of cherish yeah. even some quite shitty and shitty sounding yeah. records they're important to me because mm. they're from that collection of course they are yeah. and then there are some great ones that, that I still I take out and play yeah. in bars because like like songs of the key of life and yeah. you know what, whatever yeah. um, the that, that is that original copy from my childhood yeah it's great because at our place I remember when we were growing up there was this mum and dad and my brother and I everyone in the family has recorded at some stage right we're, yeah. we're, we're on a record somewhere yeah but poor old dad he didn't have a hope with Dennis and I because we had the big stereo dad had his little pie partygram record player thing yeah and Sunday mornings was his time and that yeah. was it and there was no argument and dad would get his record player in the lounge and he'd play Caruso or oh, yeah. to a lesser extent Mario Lanza he was yeah. not big but it was all Caruso and my brother and I being incredibly hip and cool and fashionable went oh god this is awful this is rubbish still keeping one ear on it yeah. thinking you yeah, know it's not bad and about a three or four 
four months ago I had a request for um, a Mario Lanza track which I hadn't heard since my dad played it all those years ago mm. and it was a very well-known piece and I, I didn't pre-listen to it and I got the email and I said oh I'm so and so just wanted to hear this Mario Lanza thing and it started and my eyes just filled up and it yeah. was like it just took me back to being 10 years of age and I thought this is happening to other people as well all this music that I'm playing and yes. I kind of got my shit together at that moment and thought got to be serious about this yeah, you know yeah. I know I keep drifting off what we're talking about but um, the, the whole record collecting thing as you said no I didn't collect records I listened to the radio I was interested in the technical side of it more than anything yeah and in fact I left school on my 15th birthday because I just absolutely hated school just couldn't stand it I uh, got out of school did this big symbolic thing on the uh, Kelvin viaduct where I emptied my uh, school bag out <laughs> over the thing. I just don't know why, it's this day why I did it. And on that same day I went out and got my driver's license yeah. and uh, I started an apprenticeship as an electrician. All the time thinking, ah, oh, this radio, listening to radio, listening, listening, hanging around, doing all that. Mm. Finished my apprenticeship as an electrician, saw an ad in the paper <laughs> for um, a mid-dawn job going at Radio Windy and thought, man I, I can do this I've never done it in my life but I can do this and I went to the library and I found a Melbourne phone book and I found some Australian radio stations and I wrote down the name of these radio stations went to Radio Windy and applied and said oh, I'm from Melbourne and I've worked on these radio stations <laughs> and they said great oh those credentials we don't even need to hear you yeah. can start tonight at midnight and I went oh can I just have a quick look at I don't know what desk you use compared to what I've never used one in my life and there's the faintest idea what's going on <laughs> sat myself in there for about two hours in the afternoon figured it out what was going on just didn't have a clue what I was doing yeah. and um, went and started on here at midnight that night and my mother said she couldn't stop laughing all night I mean it was just <laughs> and it was completely just lying but it was how hard can it be you're playing music to people and I genuinely thought that's what the job was whereas on commercial radio it isn't the, the, the music is a, a necessary evil mm -hmm. between everything else that's going on between mm -hmm. the ads and the we know why and yeah. all the rest of it but the music and just to go a little bit further down the track, the day I resigned from commercial radio, and this is a true story, we, I won't say which station I was at, but we had an announcers meeting, and um, the program director came in and said, just discovered I can increase the speed of CD players by 3%, and that way we can fit an extra 30 second commercial in, which is about 150 bucks. And I thought about it and I said, hang on, so we're going to be playing the songs a little bit faster and in some very mysterious key that doesn't exist. So the guy, the artist recorded them at this speed, but we're going to play them a bit faster. He said, yeah, because we can get an extra 30 seconds in. And I said, but they're not going to sound like they're supposed to sound. And he looked at me and I thought, I've got through to him. And he thought about it and he said, but it's an extra 150 bucks we can get in. And I walked out and I walked down to Slowboat to my brother's shop and I said, I can't stand this anymore. This is, there is zero, zero respect mm. for the actual music. And I'm sure it's not the same at all commercial radio stations. <coughs> it is. But um, <laughs> at that particular place, I thought, this is just wrong. You know, yeah. I, I'm the best D-grade drummer in Wellington. Yeah. But I know, I know enough about music to know that you don't just go speeding them up or just increase the tempo, the pitch and that's why I've always had this thing I will never fade a song unless there's an earthquake unless something's happened how dare you fade a song yeah, you know yeah. and so many people still seem to think that's okay to do and I'm just I'm the last one I'm going 
but respect for the music. And they're going, no, don't worry about the music. Look, we can talk and we sound great and we can play this promo and we can talk about this and play this bit of an overacted New Zealand radio play. We can play one of those, you know. And don't worry about the music. Look, people don't care. People do care, but people have given up complaining about it, I think. Yeah, yeah. They really have. They've just decided, oh, well, you know, and I've got mates who have these sort of classic hit stations on all day and they're playing Hotel California and they're playing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me and they're playing Cliff Richard. And I say to them, what's wrong with it? They go, oh, it's all right. We don't really care. <laughs> you know? um, I want to um, jump into something else here because... Um, as someone who's aspiring to be the worst D-grade drummer in Wellington, I'm pretty excited to meet the best <laughs> drummer in Wellington. So I'd like to know a little bit about um, your interest in drums, Your because uh, you did you just buy a, a new kit recently? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So did, have you have you always kept your hand in, or did you let it go for a I long time? I thought I had. Yeah, until <laughs> you tried again. But I, I played in all these cover bands at the 1860 and, and yeah. all these different bars, and I played with my brother's band very briefly, but I was never good enough for him. I knew that. And um, I absolutely Your loved personality it. personality issues there Oh, too? God, yeah, yeah, huge, yeah, yeah. huge personality Typical issues. Typical sibling. Absolutely. But I was just, and still am, totally in awe of what he does musically, yeah. what Dennis does musically. And um, so I, I wouldn't even dare, you know. But um, I played in these bands, and my dad tried to talk me out. I said, oh, you know, play the, at least the guitar. No, I want to play drums. Learn the piano. No, oh, I don't want to. And I don't know why. I always wanted to play the drums. I'm still, I still love drum solos. Yeah. A terrible thing to admit, but, you know, I'll play a drum solo on there. Yeah. More than happy to. Simon Morris, of course, will sneer, and I'll just play it again, you know. Um, and I, I've always maintained that, uh, you know, it's a legitimate musical instrument and I know all the drummer jokes and I know enough people in bands to know about it, but you get someone like Jim Laurie, who I used to flat with. Yeah. Jim, Jim, Jim and I flatted together up in Brooklyn, but um, I always used to look at Jim's, Jim's playing and think, and listen to his stuff with Street Talk and the Flamingos and things and think, Jim's not the flashiest drummer, but by God, that man can keep time like yeah. nobody else. And I can't. You know, I listen to it at the start of a song and the end of a song that I've played on, they're completely different tempos, you know, <laughs> honestly. And I've, I've worked hard at it. I got back into playing because Alan Galbraith, who's uh, an old mate and a record producer, lives in Greytown, makes cigar box guitars yep. and just still plays guitar. Carl Dufresne is living in Masterton. He's a bass player. Mm -hmm. And we all hang out together and moan about young people. And um, we just like last of the summer wine and we sit there and Alan said, I've got these great songs. <laughs> And he said, he said to me, um, have you got any drums? And I said, no, I haven't at the moment. And I couldn't justify going out and buying some to see if I was any good or not. My next door neighbour in Greytown <clears throat> decided he was going to play drums. His wife wants the kid out of the house. So two birds, one stone. <laughs> so he said, take the drums. I don't want them. It's a really nice Ludwig kit. So I've got this kit and I started practising a couple of months ago and thought, no, I'm 62 years old. I'm out of shape. Um, and... So many people have said, no, no, it'll come back, it'll come back, including a few really well-known drummers. And every time I sit down and practice, and even my girlfriend would say, go and play, I don't care, you know, don't worry about the noise. And I sat there and I thought, you know what, I think I'm past it, I really do. Um, if I was to persevere, I suppose I could get it back. But I'm wise enough now to know, you know what, I'll just leave it to people who know what yeah. they're doing here, you know. Yeah. And I don't enjoy it anymore. That's right. the other thing. I used to really enjoy it. 
and that in itself is a worry because about five years ago I went right off music completely off music didn't want to hear anything didn't play anything in the car didn't want to listen to any stuff could not understand why I actually went on a um, forum for a music ma an old music magazine that's now f gone a British mm. music magazine and lots of people who read the magazine would put all these comments up and I put something up there about why have I lost the interest this interest in music this love of music that's completely gone as it turned out I was diagnosed with cancer and I talked and I've kept, I've kept in contact with my surgeon, with a few people from around there, and they said, what actually happened? And they've worked it out. Um, the, the cancer was taking so much energy that something had to give. You know, uh, I just, yeah. I couldn't, and I didn't, wasn't even aware of it. As I'm all cured and everything, it's great. Mm. But um, at the time, this illness was going on and it was draining everything. I was just grumpy and the music and everything. And one of the things I thought was the problem, and I still maintain this is an issue, is shuffle is the enemy. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got your iPod or something and you track off that album, then track off that. I'm a bit of a believer that an album should be listened to. I thought you meant drum shuffles for a minute there. I was no, gonna, no, 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 no. I was going to say no Steely Dan fan thinks that shuffle is the no. enemy. Shuffle one track to another, hey, let's yeah. go at random. Yeah. No, I mean, an album like Abbey Road, for example, which is probably one of my all-time favourite albums, needs to be listened to from start to finish. Correct. Steely Dan albums need to be listened to from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. And they just don't work sometimes. And you tell the young people, I mean, I've tried <laughs> to tell the kids, you know, listen to an album right through. But that was how this came up, was when I put up on this forum about I've lost all this love of music. Yeah. Someone said, get an album that you really like, turn your phone off and go into a room and listen to it from the first to the last track and, and listen to the album right through. And if that doesn't do it, nothing will. And I went and listened to it and I thought, you know what, it's starting to come what back. What was it? What? It was Abbey Road right. that I yeah, listened yeah. to. Because I knew every song, every word and every song and it had turned up in the car when I got the phone plugged into the stereo and I'd get a track off and oh, this is great. And I know it's coming up next. Oh no, it's not. It's something else coming up next. Yeah. You get into that rhythm and, and I think that album because when that album came out, it was a very impressionable time for me with music, and I remember going through it, listening to it from start to finish, thinking, this is genius. I don't quite know what it is, but it's genius, and how it all goes, and extract. And I wanted to relive that. Interesting side to that was, uh, I met Ringo Starr years ago in the States, and I was, this was a long time ago, and we got drunk, very drunk. And I said, all this business, this money that you were offered for the Beatles to get back together and, you know, millions of dollars to do what? Why did you never do it? He said, we couldn't do it. He said, people don't want to hear us. If they listen to us, they'd go, well, it's a bit sloppy when you listen to them live. He said, they want 64 back again. Yeah. When they had, everything was great and summers went on forever and everyone was happy. What do they think of? They think of the Beatles. That's what they wanted, the memory back. They didn't want the Beatles back. He said, and we were smart enough to know that we couldn't do it. Yeah. And I thought it's an interesting way of looking at it, but that's what music does, doesn't it? it takes well, you back. They'd kind of given that up while they were still, I mean, as soon as they gave away touring. Yeah, that was it. That was it, yeah, wasn't it? In terms exactly. of that part of mm. the Beatles, they gave that away then. Yeah. But isn't it tragic that this is Ringo Starr who, on his last album, he sat down with Van Dyke Parks, mm. who he worked with on it, and they realistically worked out how much money they're going to make off that album. Yeah. And it worked out at about 200 bucks each. Yeah. That was it. That's the yeah. most they could really hope for. But did you hear the album? I think they were doing well to make they, it. If they got a couple of <laughs> hundred bucks, they did, hundred, well. they did fuck I love that Van Dyke Parks story <laughs> where um, he says how no one pays royalties anymore. He said every time a royalty check arrives in the mail, he opens the envelope and before he has a look, he says to his wife, you're going to 
leave me? And she says, no. And he goes, $38.50. <laughs> and every, and that's, that's how it's got. So if that's how music is undervalued these days, yeah. then let's keep these Saturday night programs going where that song means something. Let's yeah. at least retain that part of it. If um, it doesn't have a dollar value anymore, it's got to have the emotional value. Do you know, I reckon Abbey Road's the record I've listened to the most in my life. Oh, really? Because um, that's... That's the record I learned to play the drums to, pretty much. Side, side one yeah. of that, particularly. Yeah. And um, then, you know, obviously... That was the thing to work towards. That's the one. Um, Keeping that bass beat going. Even just, um, you know, like... Um, the, yeah, the first side of it. Was I know. My mum, yeah. my mum sort of locked me in the end room of the house after uh, when I got a drum kit and, and went... I, you know, I'd sort of done some rudiments and stuff and I'd had some lessons and then she kind of just came up with this idea herself that I guess she wanted to encourage me but she didn't want to just listen to Just Noise. So yeah. she picked a record that was a really good record um, mm. that she knew and liked mm. and, and was a good record oh, for someone to learn to play the drums to. Wow. And I think, I think, you know, it meant that she could kind of... If I turned the record up really loud and played along, she could at least hear some some, <laughs> some music she you know some music she quite liked being ruined, but but, but still some music yeah. she liked you know rather than just the the noise. And How so, did you persevere? How did you stick at it? Because a lot of people give up early on drums because well, they sound like someone falling over drums until you get it together. Yeah, I think I think I just kept doing it because I, I kind of liked that sound of mm. the falling over the drums thing. Yeah. I kind of liked that. And you know, I mean, I'm not a. I'm, I've never been a good drummer, but I've been an, an okay drummer. Mm. I've I've been good enough to to play in bands and, mm. and make money, you know, mm. like, and 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 play in sort of bands that go and do four hour pub shows and yeah, stuff, and yeah. that's your livelihood. So, so I've been good enough at that, but I'm pretty realistic about mm. my abilities. Um, yeah, I get, I don't know. I I think it was that thing where I got lessons for about six months and. I could I couldn't even do a basic, mm. you know, four mm. four rock beat for the longest time, mm. and then after a few weeks, the guy started teaching the rest of the class and not me <laughs> how to do a bossa nova. Yeah, and I watched them do it, and I kind of just went away and worked on that. And my kind of attitude was, I'm going to learn to do that better than anyone else in this class. Fantastic. And then he's going to take me seriously mm. because I was the only left-handed drummer in the class, so oh, he, he no. hated me because I was left, yeah left-footed. Oh, so like there were twelve students students or something and like mm. I was always last so that they'd change the kit round for me and oh. I'd get to the end of the lesson and he'd just go fuck it like, <laughs> we'll do you next week you're rubbish anyway so it's all very whiplash yeah so I I kind of I kind of <laughs> sat and worked on this very basic bossa nova mm. you know playing on the two and right, yeah, yeah. The two and that, that mm. sort of thing and um and I just kind of just kept practicing like just mm. sitting at the desk yeah. at school and and I, um, but you're constantly still, you tap everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I still do that yeah. a lot. And I, so I was doing that, and then I, um, I was good enough that we went back and, and I, I played it. Prob- I don't know if I played it better than anyone else in the class, but, mm. but in, that, in the teacher's mind, it was a, you know the biggest improved, yeah. most improved player kind of thing. Cool. So then he started teaching me stuff, and then mm. yeah, I kind of got into it for a bit. But I only, prob- yeah, I think it was only about six six months, and then I really just learnt by playing to Beatles, um, yeah. Abbey Road, Band on the Run, mm. Wings, and some Cream, mm. like a best of oh, Cream record. God. And that was that was kind of it. Yeah, yeah that was when it, you know. Mm. And then I just started sort of jamming with mates and playing mm. in bands. And but I, you know, I'm a similar sort of version to what you're saying. I think like mm. I've given it up for long stretches. Yeah. Kind of got back into it, then not really. And 
I can still remember getting Who albums the day they came out and sitting down with my mates, with a friend of mine, Mike Phillips, who yeah. was a drummer in a band called Creation. Yes. Um, and Mike and I made rest in peace. We went. To, we were in the same class at school. We played drums in the uh, band, brass band at school. And I can distinctly remember going up to his house in Thorndon the day the Who album came out, and we said, and this sounds like the sort of thing Noel Gallagher says, but I mean, you just sit there listening to it going, this is amazing, just yeah. playing the album over and over, and that's before drugs were invented, you yeah, know I mean? Yeah. Just, we just kept listening to it going, this is spectacularly good. Yeah. And the, the thing that I'm happy about more than anything on the planet is that I can still, and even just today, I listen to an album and I got that same rush back again. It was an artist I'd never heard of, and I went, Wow, this is great. And so if that's there, then it's fine. Yeah. You know, there'll always be something for you yeah. out there, you know. Yeah. But the drumming thing, I, I, you, I bet you found the same as me, that it just doesn't happen, doesn't happen, and then suddenly it happened. So yeah, one day you can do it. That's what I was going to say. So mm. I, I've, I've, I've said that to people sort of, you know, in the past, like, uh, you have these, I guess it's, it's probably similar learning other instruments and, and, and learning other things, mm. you know, like, but certainly with drumming, like, yeah, one day, one day it all clicks. Yeah. After about six months or exactly. two years or yeah. whatever, you know, mm. maybe for some people it's within a few And it's minutes. always there then. And you can always go back to that. Yeah. That's your kind That's of right. default setting. And you can get a little bit yeah. better and then you can mm. get a lot better if you practice. Yeah. But I found that, you know, I've... Um, Really, I'm in a stretch at the moment where I haven't really, I don't really play, mm. you know, at all, and haven't done. You have other responsibilities. So, yeah, <laughs> I haven't played for, I haven't played for sort of the last ten years, really, apart mm. from sort of every now and then. And mm. I had sort of played in, oh, I played in a band for a year or two. Yeah, arms ache when you get back into it. Eh? I do, yeah, oh it's, man, it's, a cramp. It's like in. going back to yeah. any kind of sport or exactly. something without training. Yeah. And, um, but I like it. I mean, I actually, I probably actually with a, with with Oscar being sort of nearly four, I've, in a way, I've done more drumming the last couple <laughs> of years than ever because um, you know we sit and play yeah. drums on the floor and Fantastic. make percussion instruments yeah. out of cushions and pots and pans and things. And <laughs> and actually, you know, mm. that's probably my level anyway. That's probably yeah. where I belong. But but I'm. I'm kind of enjoying it. That's the only drumming I need to do. There's those words, enjoying it. And um, I'm just so tired of these angst-ridden artists that look like they're not enjoying themselves. And, you know, you, see, I was never a huge Kurt Cobain fan. I don't think he did a lot to inspire kids to get into music, to be honest. Or if he did, he did it for the right. I'm going to get shot for this. But I just, you know, I just never quite understood it. I'll stop being so angry all the time, mm. you know. Just lighten up a bit. And um, I'm not saying everything should be Carpenter's songs, but the whole idea of, of whether you're playing music, whether you're playing in a band or just listening to music, it's, it's got to be for the love of the music. It's, it, it's its own thing, you know. You don't... And we, we're doing this... We're going to do this thing on Idol, on, on Labor Day, that um, Simon came up with this idea that the day before the next Matt May Idol, we're going to go out and buy the absolute latest, now that's what I call music, volume 403 or whatever. Because yeah. it'll be full of songs that we don't know, because yeah. I just don't know a lot of this yeah. new stuff, right? And so we're going to go through it and go, that looks interesting, let's play that and see what it's like, right? Mm. And ge genuinely see if there's anything in there that we like. And we have absolutely no, we're not going to bullshit about it. If, yeah. if we think it's rubbish, we'll say it's rubbish because we really don't care what people think of what we say. Uh, and if we think it's great, then we'll say so. But 
I don't know. I go into shops when my daughter comes back over here and she goes into buy some clothes. I go into shops. It's the same song I'm yeah. hearing in all these shops. It's not just me, is it? No. They all do sound the same. Yeah, of course. Well, they're right. all. I think they're all written by the same yeah. half a dozen writers. Yeah, that's true. The, you know, yeah. that's the thing. So. But, but you suddenly you put yourself into this grumpy old man category as soon as you sing it. It's a different kind of wrecking crew now. I think. It is, isn't it? Actually, fucking demolishing the songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the competition. Well, but then again, I've been dragged along to concerts by my kids over the years. I went to see Fallout Boy. And just great, yeah. man. They were yeah. terrific, you know. And my daughter was like, "Oh, really? You liked it? You know? Sorry, <laughs> there's a lot of that, and you've got that to come." Yeah. But. Um, they at least know that because of my job I can legitimately say that, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. have to be with all the other dads standing down the back. Yeah. Um, and some of the requests that I'm getting through on this show, I'm starting to get some new stuff coming that I'm completely unfamiliar with, but I'll give it a shot. And I mean, you only have to listen to it once. I mean, what's four minutes out of your life, you know, yeah, yeah. just give it a go. And I get people, I, I talk about what's coming up on the show and they'll go, oh no, don't play Billy Joel, because I hate Billy Joel, you know, well, <laughs> I hate Billy Joel too, but lots of people love Billy Joel and I'll play it, and it might be a song that you don't know, so give it a go, yeah, you know, just yeah. give it give it a chance, but people, people are scared to, and that's the other thing with commercial radio, because they never get to hear any of this other yeah, stuff, do they? Yeah, that's it, that's it, people sort of get comfortable in a, mm. in a pattern of thinking, you know, like... I don't, I mean... You see, you can't afford to do that. You can't, I mean, because yeah. of your... You will review so I must admit, I read some of your reviews and I go, oh, he's reviewing so-and-so, he's going to hate it. Oh, shit, no, he yeah, actually yeah, likes yeah, it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So the only way, and I'm sure this is the way you do it, the only way you can do it is just to be really honest about it. Yeah, that's... You have to be, don't that's you? That's it, that's it. I think, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to um, sort of try and explain myself to people that, do, that don't believe mm. it in that, but... But, you know, I really do think the only way to do it is judge it on the music and um, be honest about how mm. how you came to it and what you got yeah. out of it. That's yeah. it. Like, I mean, y yes, you will go into things with preconceived notions, but but um, but people sort of only hold that against you if you don't like it. Yeah. They, yeah. They, ne they never say they never say the reviewer that said that the you know whatever the White Stripes album that they love mm. and the reviewer loved it too. Mm. It's, it's not an issue that no. the reviewer loved all seven mm. White Stripes albums. That's okay, but yeah, it's, it's exactly. only an issue if you hated yeah. six White Stripes <laughs> albums. Then it's your fault. You know you should have. Uh, yeah. No, okay. There there is a logic there. Maybe you shouldn't bother by six if you and, and <laughs> you gotta be. I'm speaking. Hypothetically, here too, because yeah. like you know, there are a couple of white stripes albums I thought were okay, but yeah. you know, you pick anything like that, and yeah, mm. it's funny this, this idea like pe people call for an ob objective review, which doesn't really exist. No, that's it's true. Of course, subjective. Yeah. But they, when they see a concert review or an album review that just gushes about a band, and the person talks about how you know. Dave Grohl is the greatest mm. front man in the world, which is mm. hardly objective mm. because it's positive. What mm. they actually want by objective is positive. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah, <laughs> Of course they do. Agree with them. Yeah. But I've discovered the very first Saturday night show I did, I wasn't quite sure where I was going with this, and a lot of there are a lot of angry people out there, mm. you know, in rest homes mm. that were not impressed that this young scallywag <laughs> had come along and started this program. And I had a request for a Pat Boone song. I can't stand Pat Boone. And I played the song, and I said at the end of it, in a light-hearted, jocular fashion, yeah. I said, that's Pat Boone giving it everything he's got. And to be honest, it was never really very much, was it? <laughs> My 
God, honestly, the the angry, spidery writing guy up the page. Yeah, maybe you say. Man, and they just got so cross with me and so angry, and yet somehow, and I went, oh, okay, and I was really quite upset about it because I, you know, I did. But let's be honest, the guy's an idiot. You know, yeah. he's this mad redneck. And I was going to say, like, part of the problem with him is that oh, he's a fool. He's a prick. You know, yeah. like he's a, a, sh- a shitty guy. Like, but as someone pointed out, a lot of us grew up listening to that music and at the time it meant this to us so how Mm. dare you say this and then I went okay fair point Mm. Um, interestingly I stuck to my guns a little bit and I I do respect the music that I play there even if I don't like it I'm not going to say this is garbage because how dare you right and these same people that wrote these this vitriolic bloody things coming through to me everywhere are now sending me cakes, yeah. you see, and they're fine to eat, <laughs> I've checked. And, um, How do you do that? Do you give them to Simon? I give them to someone else, I give them to the dog. Simon has it off his food, Simon will And uh, I've sort of won them over now, even though I did, I've got an email about tonight's show saying, how about at the end of a song, you uh, give it a couple of seconds, don't say anything, just give it a couple of seconds of silence mm. and just let the request sink in. And I instantly went, oh, how dare you tell me how to do my job? And then I looked at it and I thought, you know what? It's a stupid idea, to be honest. I'm sorry. I never fade songs. If a song fades, I wait till it's just inaudible and yeah. then I talk. But I'm not going to wait two seconds to let the song sink in because people will be going, turning the radio up and suddenly I'm going to come blaring in because it's that old dead air thing. You don't have dead air. I'm sorry, I I don't believe in that. Um, So this person is about to be really upset about it. Someone else complained about me uh, not playing their requests and they they wrote in and said, because we record the programme, we record all these songs. And they they then went on with pages and pages of everything I'm doing wrong, that they hate me to bits, and then another page of requests, right, what they want to (laughs) hear. So I, I wrote back to them and I said, um, this was in an email. You really endeared yourself to me. So I wrote back to them and I said, look, you know, come on. Mm. I mean, get real. And then one night I was on, I took a night off and I checked the email before I went and this person had written in saying, here's a request but only when Phil O'Brien's not working. I don't want him to play it. So I wrote back and I said, you do realise I get all these emails, don't you? <laughs> so I had these little battles going on because whilst I'm there to play this music for the great unwashed and to make them all happy and play the music, I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm not, you're not going to start, come on, don't don't take the piss here, you yeah. know? Just let, let's all play the game sort of thing. And um, there are still people out there, I love the ones that say, I've never listened to it since you took over. I can't stand yeah. it. Now would you please play? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I think, do you see yeah. what you're saying here? Look, I've, I still get um, I still get emails, messages to the blog on the Tracks Facebook page saying, mm. um, we like some of your stuff, but we hate the stuff that Simon Sweetman writes. <laughs> well, who else write, you know, like, I think they think that it's a, it's a bunch of people post, posting things on the, which, you know, maybe they just mean they like the things that I post that other people write, yeah. which is fair enough, because I like those too. But I, I actually think some people think, you know, yeah, what didn't they get about that that I was probably going to be the person reading it, you know? What would you be like doing the Saturday night program if you were fronting it and a song came up that you thought was absolute garbage, would you say that? No, I... See, I would love to have... Part of the reason I'm doing these podcasts is I would have loved to have done radio. Mm. Would have loved to. And I still, in a way, think, you know, I'd like to, but... It's, it's too late and I, you know, I've sort of just missed that boat or whatever. I never, 
never sort of took, tried for a chance at the mm. right time or did, did any training or did anything about it. But So I kind of, um, I think I'd be okay with playing stuff I don't like. In fact, in fact I, I, I do it quite a mm. lot. You know, I, mean, yeah. I do some DJing and mm. I've done some weddings and, and and I've played in, a, in covers bands at weddings mm. and you know we've had to play I mean fuck I've played 500 miles more than the Proclaimers oh, ever played God, it, you know no. and I've played Dirty Old Town more than the Pogues <laughs> or, or anyone else of, yeah. of vaguely Irish descent has ever had to play that song and I fucking hate those songs yeah. but when people want them you play them and mm-hmm. occasionally as creepy as it sounds with a smile you know you do it yeah, I know. But, but I think Probably now, if I if I filled in for you next week, um, if you asked me to fill in for you next week, uh, and I had to play, you know, Pat Boone and such mm. and things like that, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But I think maybe because of some of the things I've written over the years, people <laughs> might pe- people yeah. might not believe that I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, you see, that's but sort of what I face now. I'm, I've got the best of both worlds yeah. because we've got Idol, which is um, yeah, you get to you get to play up. <laughs> ironically, we yeah. play music ironically. My girlfriend calls it student radio yes. for the elderly. Yeah, and I still I still reckon that's what which it is. It's a good description. I was it's thinking about this today. Mm. I was thinking about talking to you, and I th- the 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 compliment that I wanted to pay you about Idol, and we'll talk a bit more about Idol too, in uh, a minute. But the, the compliment I wanted to pay you about Idol, and then I hoped that it was one, uh, was that you and Simon kind of sound like you're listening into each other's show, mm. like you're, you're yeah. almost running. To, yeah. There's a major sort of intuition thing that you have, but outside of that and around that, it's almost like you're running your own separate show each. We do, but, but you're both listening in on each other, and you're there as as a kind of fan okay. of each other and there's definitely that a critic of each other and a, right. and a guiding hand that it's taken in. a while yeah. though, because I'll have to go back and just tell you the, the yeah. whole thing about Idol was um, 11 years ago I think it was I was doing fill-in work at Radio New Zealand yeah. Wayne Mowat was doing afternoons he was going away for a month and they said do you want to get in there and do something and to be honest we don't care what you play you can play whatever you like yeah it's the holidays yeah no one's listening no one cares and I went and we'll give you a producer I've never had a producer in my life and I got this producer ex-BBC guy who's just fantastic James Thompson and um, he said, and my boss said, just go away and think about what you want to play and then tell me if you like, I don't really care, so everything will be away, you know. And I went home and I, I took it all terribly seriously and I said to Gail, God, I've got this golden opportunity here, so I, I'm not going to fuck it up, I've got to get it right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go online and listen to what the BBC are doing, I'll listen to what they're doing in the States. And I started listening to Brazilian radio stations and Italian stations and thought, what am I, God, what am I going to do? Yeah. And then she turned around and said, why don't you just play what you like? Yeah. And then if they don't like it, too bad. And I thought, ding, okay, I'll give it a go. And I thought, I'll just, and I happened to hear this Portuguese version of Hit the Road Jack, which I thought was just great. I heard it on some online station. And I thought, you know what, I really like that. And um, it's not even in English, and it's an old song, so let's set the tone. Yeah. And so that was the very first song I played on Idol. And because I had James Thompson with me, who was so intensely proud of the fact that he knew nothing about music and The Gambler is his favourite song of all time, <laughs> and he kept going on about that. So I thought, right. Anyone whose favourite song <clears throat> of all time is The Gambler knows nothing about exactly. music. Exactly. Yeah, so I treated the show. The <laughs> But he, he had a re- he got a really good speaking voice, James, and he's very quick, very witty. And I, I thought, I'll give him a little bit of rope and see what he's like on air. And he was really good. So suddenly it became him and I, but I was educated 
educating him. I was saying, James, well, check this out. This is great. And we started pushing the email address and everything more than any other program yeah. was at that time. And the response, I suddenly found that people liked Andy Pratt and Avenging Annie, which I hadn't heard for so long, but one of the great bass lines in there, you know. Yeah. Check out this bass line. Listen to this guitar solo. Listen to this because it's really awful, but it's only two minutes long and it's got a great last line. And I was like a pig in shit. I was yeah. just, suddenly I was doing what I do at home. Yeah. Playing all the stuff, driving people nuts. Listen to this. You know, I play three seconds. I'm like, no, 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 listen to this one, you know, because I just got really enthusiastic about it. So that's what I was doing. And it worked. So they said, right, come back and do it next year. Great, right, next year. And then three or four years in, they were only doing it over summer. Yeah. And uh, James, his visa or something ran out or he got arrested or something and he had to go back home. So I had no producer and I was talking to Gail about it and I said, I'd like to work with Simon because I've known Simon for 30 plus years mm. and uh, we've always got on and we've got identical taste in music really mm. and um, so I approached him and I said look do you want to produce the show now I said produced he thought I said do you want to come on and play every second song yeah and uh, so I thought okay all right well that's how it's going to work that's fine but Simon is a really good songwriter and a really good musician and um, it's like you, know, you get around to your party it's like having Oscar Wilde there it really is you know he comes out with this mm -hmm. stuff and I'm totally in awe of the guy yeah. and I found myself then not playing songs particular songs because I thought he might not like it and I thought this is this isn't working this isn't great and I remember ringing up Dennis with my brother 11 o'clock at night I was just beside myself I couldn't stand another day with Simon or I was feeling so intimidated and he was so pushing me in because I just don't have the confidence and um, I went up to Dennis's and I said, what am I going to do? You've known him longer than me. How do I do? Just go and tell him. Oh, all right. So I went and saw him the next morning. I said, mate, you're freaking me out. Oh, shit. Okay, don't worry about it. Just carry on. <laughs> and it was all right. Mm. That's all it needed. Mm. But I was starting to reprogram the show. Mm. So then we started to go, right, you bastard. Listen to this. And you go, oh, yeah? Listen to this. And we suddenly, we had a huge amount in common that we liked and that we have an overriding general love of all music, but we have particular favourites. I mean, you know, if the move had never existed, Simon would not be alive today, you know, mm. he just, he would have nothing to live for. So we had our own favourite stuff, and that was fantastic. Um, but then we started to get competitive with each other a little bit, and the listeners picked up on it, which is great, because yeah, yeah. it's interesting that you say that, because a lot of people say, oh, I really like your stuff, but I don't like Simon's. Yeah. These same people say to Simon, I really yeah. like your stuff, but I don't like Phil's. That's yeah. fine, you know, because yeah. it is different. And um, we have the running gags of stuff that we yeah, play, yeah, yeah. and that also is fine, because we've got a, a hardcore audience who email and get involved mm, in it. Mm. But... Honestly, we're doing it for them. We yeah, are totally. really doing it, it for like them. But it is like that. It is like that. I mean, I guess secret to good good radio or what in people's mind particularly is good radio is is that thing. But it is like a bit of a game of tennis. Absolutely, but we're like the Everly Brothers. We, yeah. see, we don't mix outside uh, yes. of the radio show. Yes. I mean, Simon... That's as how you know, catch up. Yeah, he lives around the corner, but yeah. I mean... And I'll see Simon, we'll go and have a cup of coffee yeah, and just yeah, yeah. talk about stuff, and we have meetings, a couple of quick meetings. We have a yeah. phone call about the show, and then we sit down and go, right, where do we go? Because we know each other well enough yeah. that I know... If everything fell over, Simon could talk for 10 minutes. It's yeah, fantastic yeah. if I need him to. But all Simon does is sit there and talk. You've seen it. Yeah, I yeah. have to do all the heavy lifting yes. and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get grumpy about that. Yeah. And he'll go, 
oh, let me listen to Trey, something's playing, you know, and he'll go, oh, I don't know, play Trey 3, let me listen to the sound. Well, do it at home, man. I have to listen to it at home. No, don't bring it in here. So this goes, I get all huffy about it, and he doesn't but say again, anything. But again, that's like, to play into those cliches, that's where it's wonderful. It is like a marriage. It's and like, I think it's, it's like fine. you recognise yeah. each other's strengths and yeah. play off those, and you understand exactly. each other's weaknesses. And, exactly. You know, it's, it's, yeah. all, it's all of that, that kind of... And, and if I arrange an interview, Simon doesn't really want to know because he didn't arrange it and then he arranges one so I go all difficult on him and everything you know <laughs> and to be honest we're both so old now we really don't care yeah we honestly yeah. don't care and that comes across in, in exactly the right way and the, in the way that you intend it which is like you don't you don't not care at all otherwise oh, would, no. otherwise there wouldn't be a show you wouldn't yeah. be there but you don't care about um it fitting in with anyone else's vision but your own. It doesn't have to. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Our, exactly. our relatively new CEO, Paul Thompson, when he first started and I was introduced to him and he mm. said, uh, he said, oh, he said, I love Matinee Idol. He said, I don't get it, but I love it. Yeah. And we went, <laughs> That needs to be on the T-shirt. There is nothing to get. <laughs> yeah. There, there, this is the whole thing. Yeah. People go, oh, I see what they're doing there. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, no, it's not. I go, oh, I'll play that now. Well, when I first started listening to, uh, you know, sort of, by fluke, you know, like driving hmm. driving from Hawke's Bay back to Wellington after Christmas one year, and this is, I don't know, nearly a decade ago, or hmm. maybe around a decade ago, I just thought it was, uh, and I still think this, I just thought it was um, mixtapes and, and playlists come yeah. to life. Yeah, and exactly. That, and that you're doing the yeah. colour around them, and it's, hmm. it's sort of... Your, your dialogue that goes on between you two, yeah. w- bit of bickering, a bit of bit of agreement, you know, rah, 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 mm. it's sort of like discussing the themes, um, yeah. all that sort of thing. It, it almost feels like the making of the yeah. mixtape is happening at the same time as the mixtape But, but why not do this on radio? Oh, that's right, exactly. This is what I've never understood, why other people don't do it, why it all has to be so bus drunk mm. and, you know. Yeah. No, people don't talk like that. You know, if you've got the time, yeah, it's 2.27. People yeah. don't say that. Yeah. They say it's nearly half past two. Yeah. You know, and I, because they just let us go and they yeah. just keep letting, and I keep thinking, all right, well, we'll just go a little bit further this time and see what can happen. Every year for the past five years, I've said, oh, this is, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. We get to January, Simon and I go, boom, different directions instantly. Mm. And I get home and I say to Gail, oh, I can't stand it. I can't do it anymore. I'm definitely not doing next summer. Definitely not doing next summer. <laughs> and apparently I only found out they had a staff meeting at Radio New Zealand about three or four months ago. And they've just done this huge big focus group thing around the country where they're talking to people. Yeah. They're talking to people saying, you're finding out about what we can do to make Radio New Zealand more relevant and all yeah. this stuff. And apparently, and this, I only I wasn't there, I heard this second hand, they say to people in these focus groups, when we say Radio New Zealand, what's the first thing you think of? And everyone says, Kim Hill, the first thing people think yeah. of. Very closely followed by Matinee Idol, yeah. which is a show that's on half a dozen times a year, yeah, has zero budget input, um, it's uh, it doesn't it gets support as much support as I want from Radio New Zealand, but we don't want it. Yeah. This is the thing they say: you've got the entire music library, we've got assistants, we've got technicians for you, and we go, no, you know what? It's just Simon and I, mm. and that's it. And I bring the iPad in and I play 
family music off that. And um, Radio New Zealand are happy because, mm. you know, it's not a huge, big budget show. Yeah. It's so totally different to everything else. And I remember when we started getting complaints, my boss at the time, John Howson, said to me, and I saw some really nasty letters come in from mm. people. And I, I started to think, I said to him, maybe I should pull it back. He said, no. He said, if we don't get these, you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? There's yeah. more of the same. Well, that's you know? it. I was going to say, it's got that kind of meta thing happening too, yeah. where you you guys criticise yourselves and the show as it's happening. Absolutely. Uh, occasionally the station too, like, yeah. you know, ideas oh, around yeah. budget and lack yeah. of budget and mm. things like that. And and, 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 and the, the medium, like the idea of radio, you kind of play with the idea of radio and criticise yeah. the idea of radio and as it's happening. All You're this, making it sound pretty awful, eh? <laughs> well, I thought that was your job. <laughs> I didn't think you were doing it well. But surely, <laughs> but, you, but tell me, please tell me that in there you can hear yeah. a a genuine love for what we're doing. No, of course I can. Yeah, of course I can. Uh, and I think, you know, the the fact that you've got the audience that you've got and that they mm. react and, the, you know, these are long-time listeners, yeah. that they come back and they turn new people onto it and that mm. shows that. No, mm. absolutely. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as a fan of the yeah. show and, and, and as you pointed out, you know, I, I've, I've had a little window into it because I've actually mm. been up there and, and been a part of the show. Yeah. I've been on the program when you've done it. So yeah. I've, I've got to see it happening. But you see, you're the, sort of, you're the perfect guest on that program because like us, you're controversial for yeah. a start. You know shit. You yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you're not going to let, you're not going to freak out in yeah, that situation. Yeah, and I'm happy to talk. A lot of people, I've had artists come up there and they've gone, and you put the micro and they step back and they get, and mm -hmm. they just, and I think it's only us. Yeah. You know, it's not that difficult. And I remember years ago, John Butler came to town. John Butler Trio came yeah. to town. I'd never heard of John Butler, nor had Simon. And someone said, oh, we can get him up for an interview if you want him. And, oh, yeah, we'll give us a break. Why not? Yeah. Bring, bring <laughs> it up. And this dude turned up with his guitar and everything. And we were being all sort of body language, arms yeah. folded. And, yeah, so you're John Butler, are you? Go on. You know, and uh, what do you do? You play the guitar, do you? He said, oh, look, I've got a new single. I'll play it now if you like. And we said, yeah, whatever. You know, we're having lunch. You know, yeah. if you like. Uh, and he started playing and Simon and I said and went, whoa, Jesus, this yeah. guy just started playing, you know. Yeah. And suddenly we thought, and we talked about it that night and I said, we must never, ever be that arrogant again, you know, yeah. that we just assume, oh, because we're just so cool. Sometimes that happens, you start to believe your own publicity. When we got that email from Kate Bush, she was over here on holiday mm. and she was listening and we suddenly had that moment, oh, we better be serious here, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But at the same, people say, oh, I had, we had an offer. I had an offer once from a commercial radio network to take the show over there. I think they were offering something like four times what I get paid to do it now. And I didn't hesitate in saying, no, because it wouldn't work. Mm. Wouldn't work on the commercial, because they wanted a little bit of editorial control. Yeah, yeah. And, so and, a, and a little bit usually means a lot, a lot. down the track. And then having yeah. to stop, and don't play anything over four minutes, guys. Yeah. And uh, we got commercials and all that stuff, you know. Uh, and I've done all that. Yeah. Um, also, as, as corny as it sounds and as fake as it may sound, I, the fact that Radio New Zealand took a big gamble letting me do this show mm. at the start, because, mm. you know, there's a hell of a lot of power you've got in there, and the fact that they trusted me to do it, I'll never, ever forget. And the mm. man, that, that John Howson, who gave us that break, you know? Mm. Well, it's one thing to assume you don't have any listeners at that time of the year. It's another thing mm. to kind of prove it, <laughs> you know, but and that's what's going to happen. Sam Neill yeah. said, and I said, he said, 
it epitomizes summer in yes. New Zealand. Yeah. And you've got people painting the house or whatever yeah. and they're doing stuff totally. and they're driving around and they're listening to it. And that means I never get a holiday. Mm. But, you know, it takes me back to that being on the beach when I was a kid. You know, hey, listen to this. This is a great song. And when someone writes in and says, I've never heard that before. Wow, what a great song. And you're right. And I've gone out and bought the album. Ding. That's but all it's about. You say you never get a holiday, but uh, your daughter posted on your Facebook page the other day the newspaper clipping that had you saying was the effect of you know find a job you love and you don't have to work your life and I I can tell this from talking to you now but you Mm. clearly believe that I have never ever that I can recall thought before I go to work oh, yeah. go to work today it's not a you know I've been interviewed and things and people say oh it's such an you know an unusual job and I go oh just another job it's not just another job no. it's like saying driving a Formula 1 car is just like driving a car it's not a regular job it's quite bizarre it, you've got to have a particular kind of ego yeah. to sit in a room with nobody else and just imagine and talk to someone yeah and when i used to teach, imagine your audience yeah but, imagine that they're well, well I, i've got this old trick when i used to work at the radio trading school years ago and i used to tell the little baby djs mm. i said when the best way and it worked every time bring a photo in of someone that you like or love or your mm. car or so put it on there in front of you when you open the mic look at it and talk to that mm. and i still do that to this day and every time i open the mic i think of someone it could be anyone. One a stage, picture of Pat Boone there. Yeah, I've got a picture of Pat Boone. I worked to Pat. Um, <laughs> and I just think of someone and I think, who would really like this? Or, you know, um, and occasionally I've, I read a review of yours once. I can't even remember what, you know, who the artist was. And it was a really good review and I played a track off it. And I thought about you and I thought, I just visualised you listening. And this is what you'd want to hear, yeah. you know, that I'm in agreement with you or something. Mm. Um, and you, you've got to do that. You've got to visualise someone. You've got to picture someone out there. You've got to imagine you've got an audience because otherwise you go nuts. The next time I write a review, I'm going to visualise you reading it. Yeah, there you go. That's, I've that's got an audience. That's you've got an audience. And I, <laughs> Finally. And I read your reviews because as my, my dad my, my dad was a journalist and I've got this thing about the written word. I've always been, as you know, the apostrophes yeah. and all that stuff, but also just great writing, you know. And I can't write to save my life. I can't do it. I've tried and I read your stuff and I go, you bastard. That, because that, that's what I think. That's what I would like to say. But I couldn't. I know all those words, but I just don't know them in that order. You know? And, right, right. and other people look and think, working on radio. It just mm. so happens that I can stand out, as I did at the Elton John concert, 40,000 people at Athletic Park and walk out on there with a microphone. Not a care in the world. Well, I was just going to say... worry me. I don't I know just, why. I was just going to say, your job in radio, though, is, and, and you're not alone in this being in it as long as you have particularly I guess but your job in radio is not just playing requests on Saturday night and and doing mm. the sort of mildly anarchic um, matinee <laughs> idol like you have done or still do fill in for other people oh, yeah, you have to pick yeah. up other shows you read yeah. the news yeah um, you, but that, that's... you interview people you yeah. you're a DJ and a curating sense of music you're uh, what else you, you're offering sort of 
comments and reviews and stuff. I do. So it is a bunch of things. It's a bunch of things, but that's all. That's a four-four. That's what you learn drumming. You know, you learn all that, and then matinee idol is the stuff that you get the fills you get to do afterwards. (laughs) You know, you have some fun with it, but you can always go back to the basics. And I've it got to the point where like they're so good with the news at Radio New Zealand. They write the bulletins, Mm. and and they have to be like two and a half minutes. And Mm. the software that we use actually tells you how long it's going to the written word, Mm. right? Mm. So I get in there and I go right. I'm going to make this two and a half minutes to the second. Mm. I'm going to do it, and I think, am I not taking my job terribly seriously? I should be concentrating, but no. All I'm concerned about is getting it. And I think it's it's actually that easy for me yeah. to do that stuff. Yeah. Whereas my dad could write books, which he did, and, and write in magazines and things. I can't do it. My brother can do it. I can't do it. Mm. Uh, you can do it, but other people can't sit behind a microphone and just make yeah. it sound like that and and I don't understand I don't get it I don't see what the fuss well, is well, because it's easy let's go back timeline wise to, so this first job you, you sort of faked your way into by mm. saying you'd done all this other stuff mm. you worked out the desk um, and you weren't worried about playing music but what were you like when you first spoke on the radio when did you realise you first had to actually do yeah, that and that you had to do it more than once per broadcast or yeah I know or but I loved it because okay. all I've ever done I've, I could never do talkback radio yeah. I mean that would just infuriate me did you like, me. ever like listening to it or no I've never, listen, yeah. I've never really listened yeah. to it to be honest um, I'm interested in only in music radio yeah because that is what radio did to me it introduced me to music and long may it continue people say oh you know it's changing and it's everything else the method of delivery is changing but there will always be a market there will always be room for people to talk we've got to still be there to present this stuff not necessarily to offer an opinion and you know you don't really I, i remember filling in on a Stephen Joyce radio station, oh God, uh, in New Plymouth years ago. Mm. And Martin Devlin was doing breakfast on energy and I got easy 98, rocking out, <laughs> uh, where we played the Carpenters and played Bobby Goldsborough. And I was told by the program director before I went in, I filled in for a couple of weeks to help out. And he said, by the way, you don't have an opinion on anything right. on this radio wow. station. And I went, okay, that's yeah. fine. They're the rules. That's what you do. Yeah. And that's true. And Devlin used to press a talkback halfway through a song going, have an opinion, you bastard. Go on, have an opinion about something. And um, Martin would do breakfast here. I'd do breakfast on this station. We'd go round to Martin's apartment. We'd smoke dope all day. And then we'd go back and do the breakfast show the next day. And I thought, it's not a bad gig, this, is it? You yeah. know? And um, Stephen Joyce was my boss. And I kept that bit quiet. Um, but uh, And so that was just filling in professional radio. Was yeah. it, was he a jerk as a boss or was he alright? Yeah, he was alright. Yeah. No, I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, uh, but what happened was interesting. After I did that Radio Windy thing, and I'd been on air for two years doing Midnight to Dawn, and I thought, so obviously I know everything there is to know about radio, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I grabbed a bunch of tapes, I got on a plane, and I flew to Melbourne, and I thought, I'm going to go and work on radio. And I had an armful of tapes. I got to Melbourne. I looked in the phone book. I found these radio stations. I'd walk into, and it was like someone from doing mid-dawn in Papua New Guinea yeah. who has just come to New York and they want to get on radio. That's how sensible it was, right? Mm-hmm. And I try, and they all laughed. They all laughed. They all said, no, forget it, mate. You know, <laughs> we've got people, you know, who've been on radio for 25 years still waiting to get into the station. Until one program director took pity on me 
and found a gig for me in Bendigo. And I went up there, and anyway, I started working at a little station in Bendigo. Three years later, I was presenting Countdown with Molly Meldrum. So you sort of you make your way up to the top. Mm. But this is something I was thinking about today um, on the way in, and it's true. I don't know where I read this recently, that behind every great artist, every great musician, every great sportsman, every great, great orator, They've all got about 10,000 hours of practice before they got there. Mm. It never happens instantly to anyone. And I thought, that's, I would, that's about 10 years of learning your craft before you're any good at it. And you know what? That's dead right. Mm. And no one has ever made it in this business. No one that I know of has made it as a successful, um, credible musician unless they've done those 10,000 hours first. You know, that's all part of it. And so people... They, they hear what I'm doing on the radio and they think, oh, it sounds really easy. Mm. And it's it's a lot more than 10,000 hours. As I sort of jokingly say to people, I, what have I, 45 years I've been on air, I've nearly got it. Mm. But the thing that, the only thing that keeps me going on radio, and, and it's going to be, you should do this with your column. The day you write the perfect column, the day I do the perfect air shift, that's your last one. Oh, that's where you quit. Because it'll never happen. Oh, have you done it? Yeah, I've done oh, it. Oh, shit, you've done it for you. <laughs> I've, been, I've been wasting my fucking time for no, years. No, it hasn't, it hasn't no, been perfect. I know exactly what you mean. So, the, but know. that's an old striving yeah. for it, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? You know, and... Um, you think, all right, tonight, and I get it, like, this hour, I'm not going to make one cock up this hour. And it might be the slightest thing that no one would even notice, but you go, oh, man. You know, and I'll think, right, this, the song's finishing, and I'm going to read that email, and I'll read that text, and I'll do this. And I'll open the mic, and I'll go, what's my name again? <laughs> Shit. And I'll completely forget yeah, it. Yeah. And then the moment's gone, because it was time sensitive that I well, did that thing. This is yeah? kind of funny, and, and I guess what you do, and, and what I do a little bit too, is, is I always I, I always sort of think about this, is yeah, people have got absolutely got the right to complain. I've, mm. I've, I have no issue with that. Mm. But I'm always baffled that they think that the thing that they're pointing out uh, we might never have been aware of in terms of like mistakes or fuck up. like what you were yeah, just saying yeah. you, you're the first to know yeah. like you are the most critical of yourself and yeah. your performance and that and you know I knock out these blogs every day so obviously you know I'm, I'm not too concerned that you know each one needs mm. to be like worthy of going mm. in for a journalism award or anything mm. but I still know if I've got someone's name wrong or yeah. if I've uh, you know mm. slipped in an apostrophe when I shouldn't have or as as happens mm. with publishing online someone else there's been some gremlins in the system and someone's oh, yeah. done that for me yeah, yeah. and I've actually my copy is clean but it hasn't come out that way mm. um you know you you do read back what you do and you read back after it's published so I know so it always kind of makes me laugh that people think they're, they're the one person I know that's yeah. um, you know foiled you and, and, but, mate, and it must happen with your radio you get, too. you get to write it I'm going yeah. live yeah 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 and absolutely. you get I, I said something the other night I'll, yeah I'll, so it must happen all the time I, I referred to Stevie Ray Vaughan and I think I meant someone else and yeah. it was only on the way home I went oh shit I didn't yeah. mean that at all and I stopped at the top of the room at Tucker's yeah. and went on Facebook and said I know I said this I meant this it annoyed me so much it worried me yeah, so much these, you have these mind blanks on radio where 
you can't think of a oh, absolutely. as you say, yeah. sometimes your own name, but yeah. you can't think of a particular name or you are worried about you, the context you're using a word yeah. and as you say, I've got the backup of, you know, I can yeah. read it over, I mean, I still fuck it up, but I yeah. can, you know, and in yeah. theory I could have time to, to fix it. But I know from doing, I mean, I used to do a Saturday morning spot for a while with Gary Ward on oh, yeah. News Talk ZP, yeah. which I loved, yeah. and um, cool. R.I.P. Gary, but, yeah. um, you know, I... I it was only a five minute talking shit slot and that was yeah. a lot of fun but I would occasionally catch myself as I was speaking going fuck I've just used that word in completely wrong context you know and you're thinking oh, you but know. you don't think about it the other night someone sent me an email and said you just said righty ho he said I haven't heard that in 25 years and then I couldn't stop saying it yeah, after yeah. that you yeah. know it's, people yeah. point this stuff out but it's it's incredible the um, ownership that people have once when I was reading news yeah. I did the, you're supposed to do the long range forecast followed by the mountain forecast. And I did the mountain forecast followed by the long range forecast. I just got them in the wrong order. Yeah. 22 phone calls when I came out of there into the newsroom. He got it wrong. He said it the wrong way around. Yeah. So are those people listening for that moment? They, do you they're waiting some for of it. Them are? Yeah. Of course Maybe are. not all 22 of those are. No, some some are just sticklers. But but you, you, can, yeah. you stop them. What? We had a concert, a live concert in... Uh, uh, Cool thing, obviously. Yeah. We played a concert on Idol years ago, and it was Patty Smith. Yeah. And um, she called someone a motherfucker a couple of times yeah. in there. And my boss came running out and said, "Oh God, just take it off. We, yeah. we we didn't audition this, you know." And it, and so I said, "What do you want me to say?" He said, "Oh look, I'll just leave it up to you." Yeah. So I faded the thing out, and I said, um, "That's enough from that motherfucker." Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, "Look, really sorry. We didn't listen to it first. Um, and, and I didn't say this, but to be perfectly honest, if she's a New York poet. If you go to New York, you call the motherfucker five times on the cab ride from the airport, you know. So that's the yeah. way they speak over yeah. there, so don't get so precious, you yeah. know. So I said, look, really sorry, um, you know, if it offended you, but we'll play something else now. There yeah. you go, instantly fixed it, right? But it must have been a really quiet news day because Drillian got hold of it and, and started writing in the Herald. Oh, and they got these complaints. I remember and, that, actually. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I spoke to John Barr, you know, to find out what happened and everything, and... Um, John Barr said, well, it, you know, it was just one of those things, and um, Phil O'Brien did apologise afterwards, you know, why did he have to apologise? He said, well, because he's a professional, and because he apologised. Yeah. And I remember a mate of mine wrote a letter to the editor, he said, I didn't object to Paddy Smith, I didn't object to the comments, what I object to is Phil O'Brien being called a professional, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic, I thought that was wonderful. And I thought, yeah, you just diffuse it, straight away you go, you know what, yeah. you're right, I made a mistake, now what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so they've got nothing to complain about, so when they've got those weather forecast around the wrong way yeah I did but I mean the sun still came up the next day it doesn't matter it yeah. really doesn't matter but there are people out there that sit and wait yeah. and they wait for you to make a mistake on something and especially if you get the name of an artist yes, wrong yes, or something that, that's the thing that's a big one what I really like is when they write back and say you're an idiot you got it wrong yeah. and I go no, I was right. You got it wrong. The Ray Davies, Ray Davis is the yeah, thing about that. Yeah. Every time I say, and I've interviewed Ray Davis, and that's how he says it. And they say, no, that's not how you say it. Yes, it is. And I've got to the stage now where I just say it often just to annoy them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because you can, because you know you're right. Yeah. And if people are allowed to write in and complain and, and call me, quite honestly, lots of offensive names at uh, times, you yeah. know, I mean, you get it too. And they, they say some terrible things. Sometimes you, I want to ring these people back and go, 
what is your problem? Yeah. You know, and you bring them down all of a sudden. One guy threatened to bomb us a couple of years ago in Italy, didn't like saying, oh, there's a bomb in the building. And yeah. it was at a particularly awkward time when these things were happening. Yeah, yeah. And I went to the boss and I said, what do we do about this? Do we have to evacuate and do all this stuff? And he said, I'll give him a ring. And he rang up the guy and the guy was incredibly apologetic and everything, but I thought, just maybe think before yeah. you do this sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, but I've had a couple of people threaten to burn my house down over, yeah. over Gingrich. They tried to burn mine down. They tried to when I was living in Brooklyn, they, but it was concrete house. Like it was brick and concrete. And they actually tried to set fire to it, seriously. I, I got stabbed at a Gary Newman concert. I got stabbed with a compass. Really? Bloody hurt too, right in the back, yeah. Wow. And, um, Why? Just, just... It, it was 1980. It was, I was oh, doing radio features and it was a punk thing. <laughs> yeah. And because yeah. I was playing Fleetwood Mac, whereas Barry Jenkins had been playing The Residents or yeah. something, you know, yeah. so they hated me. Yeah. And that's when Life in the Fridge existed, that yeah. song called Philip Ryan's a Wanker, yeah. and then complained that we wouldn't play it on radio pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I got an invite from a guy from that band. They did a big reunion about a year ago, I think. There was some big punk reunion. Yeah. And it was, I think it was Life in the Fridge. It was someone like that, and they wanted me to MC it. And I yeah. genuinely was going to do yeah, it. Yeah. But I was out of the country at the time. I'd love to have gone along. They were good times. Um, <laughs> you've interviewed people on air, and, and you would have interviewed them in a, in a, a, there's a variety of ways that happens mm. on the radio. Like a lot of interviews, obviously, are pre recorded, but you would have had some people mm. in the studio live. Um, Memorable interviews. Oh, I'm hopeless, man. I'm just such a groupie. Yeah. I'm just such a fan. Starfucker. Honestly, I'm the worst. The best one I had was when I was at More FM and Ben Watt and Tracy Thorne were in town. Everything yeah. but the girl yeah. were in town. So that was mid-90s? It would have been yeah. mid-90s. And I didn't know much about them, <clears throat> but I didn't know enough about them. So I read up on them a bit and I got that whole sort of chip on the shoulder who oh, was silly, oh, yeah. angst, you know, oh, God, all right. But then I was out in, that afternoon before I was on air. I walked past Record Shop in Manor Street and there was a Best of Everything But The Girl CD and I thought, I'll oh, grab that. Just go and listen to some of the stuff because I wasn't that up with it and I listened to it a bit and I thought oh yes all right it's great so anyway we settled down and Ben Watt turns up with all his people and everything and I'm mm -hmm. sitting there and we did the standard sort of interview but I had some uh, everything but the girls CDs we were giving away as part of a promotion we're giving away on air and I was going to ask him to sign them mm -hmm. for us and during the interview he referred to that best of album that I just bought as one that had gone it wasn't done with his blessing right, right. and I thought oh, shit I just bought this album yeah. you know so as we're talking I sort of elbowed it down the back a bit you know and um, asked him you know when we finished I said would you sign these ones I didn't give him that one I got him to sign the other ones and he said yeah yeah happy to mate and fine no problem you know mm -hmm. and he left the building Five minutes later, he came back in on his own. And he said, I've just been sitting in the car thinking about it. And this was off air. He said, um, I noticed you had that best of CD. He said, and I just wanted to say thank you for not asking me to sign it. He said, I would have signed it if mm. you'd asked me to. But I just thought it was really good. That after yeah, what like I he said picked about up it. on what yeah. you picked up on. Wow. And so I thought about it. Yeah. And I was driving home. And I drove down the Harabay Road that night, 7 o'clock. And I stopped down on the beach. I just had this, it was a life-changing moment. And I sat there and I thought, how dare I prejudge people? I had had him sussed when he came in. Mm. that he was going to be this prick that just, you know, just one of these Gallagher types, you know, yeah. monosyllabic answers and everything. And he turned out to be the nicest man. Yeah. And the fact that he picked up on that and made an yeah. effort to come back and say yeah. it, I thought, never again am I going to go by what I assume or what I've heard or anything else, right? And that was the same when I met you. Because everything I'd heard about you <laughs> from people, including friends and bands that you just destroyed, yeah. 
and I'm defending you to these people. And I thought, this bloody, he's going to be a pain in the ass. I just know the Swedman's going to be a real prick. And then uh, Dennis, I talked to my brother about it. Mm. And he said, no, Simon's great. And Jeremy was going on about it, you know, and all the guys. And I said, no, Simon's great. And I thought, you know what? I was doing it again. I was assuming, and I'd got it completely wrong. But we can't help but do that, though. It, it, I, I, I love talking to people who do interviews because I've done some myself, and, mm. and everyone does them differently, and everyone yeah. has different stories about them. And I, um, They're tough. I, I, can't, I don't like doing interviews. Yeah, I sort of... Uh, I love doing interviews like this, where we just get to chat. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is, and, and actually, this is what I try to do, but mm. with when I talk to musicians uh, on the phone but obviously that's yeah. quite hard because yeah. usually there's someone cuts in after 15 minutes and they're selling something and they're selling yeah. something and yeah. so you have you can't quite yeah. do it like this yeah. um, but it's funny you mentioned everything but the girl because I, I was working in, in possibly that record store at the time in Manor Street if it was the uh, Tandys uh, it was Tandys yeah well there you go yeah. I, was, I was working um in that shop at the time, everything but the girl were in town, and I. No, was it Lee Healy? Was was uh, who was the who was the label? Oh, I don't know. I yeah. don't. I, I might have been EMI. I don't or Warner's. I don't know. Yeah. But I I was thinking I didn't go to the show, and all I, all I was going to say was. I prejudged them as a band then and kind mm. of went, nah, I can't be fucking it because yeah. it's, the, it's yeah. probably the one time I really regret being t- yeah. being offered tickets and yeah. turning them out. And a bunch of people in the shop were going and buzzing about them mm. and I'd heard a couple of songs and went, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. And they're one of my favourite bands now. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I really regret that and I think, yeah. I've never interviewed either of them mm. but I've read books that they've both mm. written and I think they both um, have made some extraordinary music Mm. together and alone yeah well his book about his disease yeah it's incredible just unbelievable yeah I've read that and um, and she's got another book out now Mm. she wrote a really good memoir and there's a book about singing Mm. and um and she's done some great solo albums. Yeah. And, and he's done some great solo I albums. I know. And, and you didn't, but you just assumed. So as soon as you said that, but I, yeah. I, and I would have been the same at the time, I would have thought, oh, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I didn't even want to go to the gig, which is so silly. I really regret it. But that. half the problem is because, and commercial radio kills it for so many people because they will well, play they that track. Them. That's it. That's, that's what it. happened with me. But you go to the rest, it's terrific stuff on the yeah. album. And that's what we tried to do with Idol, was say, yeah. no, we're not going to play that track. We'll play this one instead. And that's, people go, that's that's that same band I didn't and I didn't that. have the concept then I didn't sort of well didn't understand it then that that you know they weren't mm. just a pop act yeah in, that's in, right in the pop radio sense mm. they, a, around that time was when mm. they had their peak with that with mm. some sort of dance pop crossover stuff yeah. but like there's this huge catalogue mm. you know half a dozen albums or more yeah. the, the, of really fantastic stuff yeah. I'm, I'm, now I buy them on vinyl you know I know that's ridiculous it's always the unexpected ones mm. when I was in England I got I did some work for EMI and they said we're sending you up to Derby to interview Cliff Richard yeah. he's just about to do one of his gospel concerts did you, did you shake his hand? why? I can't remember I, I reckon he's got enormous hands. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. Okay, but he, but I went into this room to interview him before this gospel show, and he sat there and he made me feel like it was the first interview he'd ever done in his life, and he'd been yeah. looking forward to it all day, yeah. and he was so excited about it. And I walked out of there thinking, he really liked me, and he really liked doing that. And I thought, that's part of the act. He did say, are you going to save for the show? And I'm like, oh, I've got time. I've got a train back to London. Yeah. Um, but I thought, that's the key to it. Yeah. That's why he's still around. Elton's the same. Yeah. And, and I worked for Elton John for years. And I know these people, part of the trick is 
just that's your day job that's your day at the office what mate. did you do for Elton John I did his publicity I worked for him for three years I would go into a city by about flat, by two weeks before him and organise organise his <laughs> room organise yeah. organise his publicity his press yeah and it was just after he got married to Renata. Ah, it was right. just that yes. happened. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he was in a funny place. Yeah. And so I had to say to people what he would talk about and what he wouldn't talk about yeah, and basically wow. hold his hand during the interviews. Wow. And it was all contrived. The whole thing, it was yeah. all, you know, these are the questions you're going to ask and everything. He was the one who said to me, listen to disco at three o'clock in the afternoon. Ah, right. <laughs> it's completely, and he'd just done that disco album at that yeah. stage. Yeah. But that was a real, I, in fact, only got to work for him because I got really friendly with Nigel Olsen. Oh, yeah. Because we yeah. had that, the drumming thing. And yeah. I always wanted to meet Nigel. I always liked his playing. Yeah. And we just got on famously um, and, in fact, hung out together in Wellington when he was over here yeah. uh, for a long time. And um, I went and stayed with him in the States, and he got me the job with Elton. So it was all this sort of go into a city, set everything up, set the press up. God knows how many concerts I've seen. I've seen a lot of them. But I won't hear a word said against a man because, yeah. I mean, I saw things in his life he has it's funny he has this circle around him of this real hardcore and they're these usually gay good-looking guys who will just as beck and call yeah then he has a circle outside that that i was part of and yeah. that's his record company people and everything band, right and, yeah. that's in the band yeah. and, and we're there but we never got into that inner circle but yeah. we had his phone number if you like but yeah, that was yeah. that sort of thing yeah. and then he might every, not answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone else was on the outside well he had um, i've forgotten his name his pa used to answer all the time his just fantastic guy but i mean i i saw elton give away so much money yeah. and do so many things for people and as he says now, he says he lives in America because they respect him. He said, yeah. I go to England, they call me an old poof. Yeah. You know, but you go to America, he said, and they still respect what he did and they treat you with respect over there. He said he's a laughing stock in England. It's ridiculous, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm in two minds about him in the sense that, you know, I really don't think he's made a decent record in 30 years. But mm. I, but also, when you made as many great records as he did in a short time, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I saw him 10 years ago. Um, then, and I've seen a couple of the recent... I have seen since, him recently. He, he, I think he can probably still deliver, you know. I'm curious about this show that's coming up. Yeah, everything comes down the key or two, but, that's you know. A, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the one that... The stadium in Wellington ten years ago was was pretty amazing, like, yeah. and you know just a total greatest hit set. But I was at the Athletic Park in nineteen eighty yeah. when his limo got stuck getting out the back from behind the stage. Right. It got bogged yeah. down, so he had to go back on stage. And he got he brought Sharon O'Neill and John Stevens yeah. back with him, yeah. and he made up a song about Wellington on the spot and yeah. played it. Yeah, unbelievable. I've spoken to John about this, and, yeah. and that's exactly what happened. And at that stage, Elton was terrific. You yeah. know, he was. Yeah. He was fun to be around. I mean, he's going through a lot of drugs. Yeah. But he, uh, you listen to those songs, I never forget, and this is something that'll interest you, Funeral for a Friend. Yeah. You know when it breaks in the middle and there's that bass mm. drum thing, mm. the Tom thing happening, never played the same way twice. Yeah, right. He has never done it the same way twice. And I've sat and watched Nigel play that, and I yeah. sat there with headphones with his monitor, because he has a big desk next to him with all, you know, for his yeah. own mix. And I've sat there, and I've heard him play that, and they always open with Funeral for a Free. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they open it. the yeah. show here. And, and those fills in there are always different, yeah. and it's always, with Crocodile Rock, 
Elton does a classical piece at the end of it as well, and it's always, always a different piece, yeah, cool. and he always gets back into the song. Yeah. Now, that's genius. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, that is amazing. Well, it's good old-fashioned stagecraft but stuff, isn't it? You stand backstage before the concert, and there's um, Nigel, David Johnson, D. Murray, mm. standing there, going through their BVs for Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So it's just the three of them just singing, just warming the voice up. These outstanding harmonies, yeah. all got perfect pitch. Yeah. And you think, oh, they make it sound so well, easy. Well, I was going to say, that, that's kind of testament to the great songs that he has written and and he must be and obviously the generosity but he, musically he must be some kind of decent boss to have had those guys play oh, for so long you know oh they yeah. you, you can you can turn around and go that's got to be a great gig mm. but there are a lot of good musicians in the world that get sick of a good gig quickly yeah. because some fuckwit is at the helm of it exactly so, you know but all the stuff we saw the tantrums and all yeah. that they certainly happen he can be yeah. real difficult nowhere near as difficult as that asshole uh, John Reed manager that he right. had that horrible horrible But you'd get Elton aside and it would be just the band and just a few of us sitting around and it's just like this, yeah. you know. It's yeah. and there's so much of it is he's just so sick of it, of having yeah. being asked stupid questions because he's a very intelligent man, yeah, yeah. you know. But they just it's well, the same old, same old. That's it with these interviews, isn't it? I mean, I was yeah. thinking the other day about I don't get to do many interviews face to face with uh, you know you know touring famous mm. musicians, but I was in Auckland a few years ago before the Def Leppard gig, and they said. They said, we don't know who you're going to talk to, but mm. um, you're going to talk to one of them, which mm. makes it a little yeah. bit tricky. But yeah, like, okay. yeah, yeah. And I got to talk to the drummer, which you know, oh, as yeah, established, yeah. I always like yeah, you know, yeah. I always like to do that, because you can always do it. Drummers yeah. love being asked. What's drummers? Yeah, what's and they, six, they, five, eight? Exactly. Yeah. And, they love, and, they, and obviously, <laughs> yep. you know, a drummer from Def Leppard's got... Yeah. Is, is recognisable yeah. um, and has a story that people know about. Or and they're just cool people, drummers. But he was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this, they probably don't get as interviewed as mm. often. So, anyway, so that was all good. But the, there was me and there was a girl that was interviewing, or a woman that was interviewing him for Juice TV beforehand. Wow. And she, she, said, she said to him, and I watched as it happened, and I felt so embarrassed. She goes, um, You're in a band called Def Leppard. Uh, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh my like, god, you know, no. This is, what was this, 2008? Yeah. And I was like, what, what the fuck is happening? Like, oh, is she Jesus. taking the piss? But she wasn't. Because oh. she was 20 or whatever, and she'd just been sent oh, along no. to, you know, she yeah. would Wikipedia Def Leppard that afternoon. Mm. And <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, um, I, they said, do you want to go first or, or, mm. or, 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 you know, shall we go first, the TV? And they were nice. And I said, mm. you guys go first. And then he sat down and he was so polite. We sat down mm. and had a coffee and he, he didn't he didn't quite mock them, but he yeah, just sort of rolled them. Uh, after a couple of introductions and we got chatting about music, yeah. he kind of rolled his eyes and sort of gestured to the fact that he was pleased that mm. that, that hadn't taken long and they'd moved on. You know, but he did it subtly well, and he enjoyed a conversation. That's it, because... In Elton's case, I mean, the amount of press that he had to do every town he'd go yeah. into, and it was the same old, same old, same old, and it'd be a press conference, and it'd be a few sort of one-on-one things. And the only way to kill it, because he was so bored, it was so tragic, was that every interview, just before the interview, someone would have to give him a word. One of yeah. us would give him a word, and he'd have to get that into the interview. Yeah, and right. I remember giving a moratorium one day, <laughs> and I said, get that in there, you can. And he got it in, he got it in the interview. Did he call a moratorium? I don't know how he did it. I can't remember how he did it, yeah. but he did it. He sort of looked to one side, and I thought, this is fantastic. You know? well, that's, yeah, that's it. Something because to relieve so the boredom, to exercise the oh, mind. God. To... I got to do that uh, James Burton about six months ago when he was 
over Oh, yeah, here. yeah, with the John Rawls show. Yeah, and I, I thought, James Burden, this is just, this is gone. Yeah, yeah, look at what this guy's done. And I managed to wangle an interview. In fact, uh, one of the singers organised it mm. for me, and he was coming to Wellington. I couldn't sleep for three days. I was so nervous. Mm. I, went I remember the, you posting it. And I went down to the hotel, and he... Didn't come down. He was in his room. He said, "Ah, oh, I've got a bit of a cold." He said, "Can we just do it over the phone?" And I was like, oh, "Okay." And I had a couple of records of vinyl. I wanted him to sign and everything, you know. So I said, "I'll go back to work and I'll ring him up." And it was just awful. Yeah. He was just. I didn't actually want to talk about prison. Yeah. You know, I wanted to talk about the Everly stuff and some of his other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he kept swinging back to the same answers all yeah. the time. And I thought I felt sorry for him because you've done this so much, and it's got past the point of actually hoping for a good interview. It's just given up on that now. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be the same old stuff and the same answers. And in fact, his answers were what I'd read. He'd said three years ago yeah, somewhere. Were... The same with Gordio. You know, it was yeah. Four Seasons stuff when I yeah. spoke to him and. The story about Ragdoll, which I got him to tell, it's a great story, but yeah, here we go, I'll tell it again, I'll tell it again, you know, and I was trying to ask him other questions, but somehow we kept going back to this, and he didn't want to do it. No, yeah. they don't want to do it, no. but it's a day at the office. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. the live gig, the party after the gig. That drummer thing you said is interesting because Melissa Etheridge, I've always liked her, I always thought yeah. she rocks, right? And, she, and I've always liked her drummer. Man, yeah. he's a good, powerful, solid drummer. And she came up to be interviewed, and I spoke to her, and I said to her, you've got one of the best drummers in a bit. I've never heard of him, but he rocks. He's great. And she said, oh, wow, thanks, far out, you know. And anyway, she did the concert, and they had an after-party thing, you know, even though she doesn't drink, there's no booze there. And we went back, and she saw me, and she said, oh, hang on. And she went over and got a drummer and drank yeah. and said, this is the guy I was telling you about. He was asking about you. Oh, man, you like my play. Oh, this is fact. And I'm sitting there, you're just such a spectacularly good player. And he was like, no one's ever... <laughs> ever, ever said that to me before, you know, when they've done an interview talking yeah. about the drumming in there. And that's, that's when I thought, that's what we try and do with Idol. We'll talk yeah. to the drummer. We don't want to talk to the mm. singer up there. Well, I, the first, well, not all, I can't remember the first couple of interviews, probably just guys in local bands here, but it seemed like the first half dozen or so interviews I did with with half pie famous mm. bands on the phone, it was the drummer. It just really. I talked to the drummer from Duran Duran, who was actually a bit of a dick. But yeah. I talked to Alex Van Halen, who was oh, yeah, amazing. He's great. And, and, he's fantastic. Yeah, and he's yeah. the best person to talk to Absolutely. in that band, actually. I think. And Give up on Eddie. I tried yeah, with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would. I, yeah. I just know it wouldn't have been good, but he yeah. was fantastic. And yeah. It was a great time to be talking to him. And mm. I grew up. You know, there was a time. Oh, I mean, I loved God. Van Halen, but there was a time in my life where Alex was. Alex yeah. Van Halen was it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and yeah, so there were all these kind of drummers that just mm. kept kind of coming up. And I've, <laughs> I've found that, uh, you know, even like talking to like the, I talked to someone like that band Tortoise, which is like, oh, yeah. you know, at the pointy yeah. headed end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I think they're amazing. But yeah. you worry, and, and I've talked to the drummers in, mm. in, in Tortoise, and they've been really cool. So. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that's happened. It's weird because it's interviewing artists. The, the trouble is that I, I got accused by Gordon Campbell in The Listener when I was doing radio pictures. Everyone gets accused. Yeah, no. by Gordon Campbell. But in the he, he accused me. At some point. <laughs> but he accused me of doing. I was doing an interview. I think it was with Tom Petty or something. And he accused me of having a wide-eyed fans approach. Right. And I thought afterwards, 
Is that bad? Yeah, I'd say that's usually that's a pretty good thing to have. I think it is a good thing, but he made it sound like a a derogatory thing. I thought, hang on, I don't want to be one of these, I'm the interviewer, so it's all about me, you know, that's enough about me, what do you think of me? You know, like that sort of stuff. And I actually want to hear from them. I want to talk to them. You know, what what do you listen to? What what do you sing in the shower? What do you listen to at home? And And that's that's what Simon Morris is brilliant at. Simon will find something in that artist's career that they really want to talk about they've never been asked about before and he knows to ask it he knows to ask and it. also the other th- what I was thinking of what you're saying there that uh, I, I, I mention this all the time I can't remember who said this to me but um, they sort of said to get a really good interview out of someone um, you kind of have to know everything about them already which mm. which I I don't entirely agree with mm. but um, I, I don't think, agree I, with that I don't but, but I understand some of the idea around that 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 having that knowledge can help yeah. you bring out a story. Okay, but, but I don't I don't agree with it as but it's just something I think no. about a lot. The trouble about that is that you know all the stuff about them, so yeah. your questions are automatically geared towards the answer you know you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I would ask them really why did you do that on that album not knowing the answer gives them a chance to tell me and they know whether you know or yeah. not you know you can tell and yeah it is, it's definitely that thing of getting someone having a chance to talk yeah. to them about something that they but what I'm doing with interviews now and and because I'm not a very good interviewer, I never have been, but what I do is what happened last Saturday night. Some of these requests I get, especially the local stuff, about uh, two months ago I got a request for a Russell Morris song. I've always loved Russell Morris songs, and I know Russell. And this old dear had written and requested this beautiful Russell Morris song, and it was her birthday. So I rang Russell and said, can I just put you on here just a couple of minutes before and just talk about the song, and you can say happy birthday to the person. That person will dine out on that for a year. So just about every week, last week it was Andrew Lund, Someone asked for an Andrew London song. Yeah. Um, before that, it was Barry Saunders. I mean, Barry Saunders. Girls get Barry on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just do a little two-minute piece, you know. Yeah, nice. And it's for the person we're yeah. playing the song for. Now the artist loves it because they say, "Go ahead and plug anything you've got coming up. Yeah. If you've got a gig coming up, by all means, you know, use this yeah, time yeah, yeah. to do it." It makes me look good. Bit of a wanker, but hey, I've got their number on speed dial. Well, yeah, it's what I do for a job. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do know these people. You have to have some. Um, perks and some things have come exactly. out 40, 40 yeah. years of doing and, and that's what it is Hammond yeah. Gamble is another one I've got yeah. Hammond singing happy birthday to this girl on the phone yeah, you know? yeah. and Hammond is more than happy to do it they're yeah. all they'd love to do it because they're just people yeah. you know and I'll go on the radio yeah great you know that, that's how I do interviews now and um well, that's, no, that's a really nice way to do it, too. But it is, because it's two or three minutes, and the other beauty of that is, if it's going nowhere, and they're not really happy, it's done, see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they want to keep talking, you can so I'll just keep talking. Yeah. What does it matter? Exactly. You know, it, it's it's wonderful way to do it, which is why I prefer doing these things live. Simon Freak's doing it live. Right. Simon does standing room only, and everything he does is pre-recorded. Yeah. I've always done live, and I'm really comfortable with that. Yeah. And it's good, because it keeps him on his toes a bit. Yeah, but yeah. speaking of that, when I was filling in on nights one night, I had um, it was just after my surgery that I'd gone back to work, and um, my anaesthetist at the time turned out like matinee idol and actually was quoting things that we'd said on the show. And we've remained very good friends. Yeah. Now I was filling in on nights one night, and I had an interview checked up that fell over at the last minute. It wasn't a music one. I was just, and they said, "Oh, we've got to find someone to interview." And I thought, "I'll give Graham a ring." He writes all these lunatic letters to the editor all the time, and he's all anti-homeopathy and all this stuff. He gets all worked up. It's great. And I thought, he'd be fantastic to talk to because let's do a thing on anaesthesia. How does it work? 
101. Just explain what happens because everyone's had it or they're going to have it mm. and people freak out about it. And he was he explained it to me in such a way that it really, I've always been interested in it, but it just made me feel completely at ease. He explained it, right? And so I said, come, will you come up tonight up to the radio because he lives out by the airport? I said, will you come up and do this interview? We'll just talk about it and let's just talk about it a real 101 guide to what you do and what happens. It's this big unknown thing. And he said, yeah, sure. And he came in and just before we started the interview, I noticed he was sitting opposite me, he was sweating. He was so nervous about going on air. And in a millisecond, I thought, the last time I saw you, I was shitting myself. I was lying on this thing in an operating theater and you were sticking things in my neck and in my arm and you were so in control. And you were like, hey, count backwards from 10, you'll be fine. Now look at you. Yeah. You can hardly open your mouth. I've got you, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because I thought it just put everything into perspective. And, and I've sat down and talked about what he does for a living and, you know, it's slightly more big deal than working on the radio perhaps. Yeah. But to him, it's like, oh, it's easy. This is what I do. Well, this know? is it. This is everyone that, you know, falls into a particular line of work. They don't, we sort of envy in what other people do. Yeah, the I idea know. that we could never do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I sort of always have this conversation with my brother-in-law who runs a catering company and cooks, you know, um, lunch for famous people and, yeah, yeah. and breakfast and dinner yeah. and, and runs a mm. staff of people and cooks for a couple of hundred people in a day. And I mm. think, you know, how the fuck do you do that? Mm. And he says to me, I couldn't write two sentences to, yeah, a, de- to exactly. a deadline, so how do you do what you do? And you know, But, it, but you say this to people and they still yeah. refuse to believe it. That's right. You know, and it's like, but you know, people say to me, oh, that... How do you get up and how do you think of things to say? And I go, well, how did you just think to say that? I mean, you well, just I think one of the things that's interesting with radio, with people freaking out, is they worry about, you know, what, what's what's the number one thing people worry about that they're gonna get embarrassed or be embarrassed. Mm. And it's mm. someone in your position. I mean, you're not you're not yeah. there to do that. Okay. You're actually there to make it as. Unless Usually, it's, as, unless it's the Doobie Brothers, they were assholes. Sure. I wanted to embarrass. That's them. it. I was going to say sometimes yeah. you get people that are difficult in those situations. But I'm talking about sort of, you know, your person that comes in to talk about their mm. job or their day or whatever, or as an expert in a particular field usually they're going to talk about something they know about and, yeah. and the person interviewing them is going to help facilitate that. Of course. You're, you're right though, when someone's a jerk... The interviewee has a, a responsibility as well and yeah. um, I remember a friend of mine on Facebook is Ian Jones who was yeah. Supergroup's drummer, right? And um, we were doing Idol one day and I thought we didn't have any interviews and I said, I'll talk to Jones if they're in the country. And I rang him up and I, he said, yeah, we'll be on the road, so give us a ring and we'll, we'll do it. It'd be great, you know. And we all set to do the interview and I played some ridiculous song or something. And I said, anyway, we're going to talk to Ian Jones, drummer from Supergroove. And the first thing he said to me was, where do you find that stuff, man? And so instantly it said, he's listening to the radio program, so yeah. it gives us a bit of credibility. Yeah. He's a mate. He sounds like, hey, he's just a regular yeah. guy here. And that interview just went perfectly. Whereas if he'd gone, oh, hi, Phil, yeah, good, yeah. You know, I'd think, oh, okay, blood out of the stone, is yeah. this what we're doing, you know? So they have a responsibility to, to help out, if you like, to help yeah. with the thing. And what annoys me, and I, and I hope I'm not guilty of this, and I hear this a lot, people who aren't very experienced in interviewing will have their five questions written out, or ten questions, whereas I have three bullet points yeah. to fall back on, right? But they'll have their questions, so they'll ask this question, the person will answer it, and 
uh, at the end of their answer, there will be an obvious in to ask this, but it's not the next yeah, question. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. go and do this, right? Yeah. And it annoys the crap out of me. The person who doesn't do that, who does this brilliantly, is Kim, Kim Hill. Yeah, yeah. That you listen, and I'm listening to her, and a guy gives the answer, and I go, please ask what that means, because I don't know what that means. And she'll go, hang on, what does that mean? You know, yeah. and I think, how did you know? It's because she's listening. Mm. And so many of us doing interviews, and I've been guilty of it, and maybe you have in the past, we don't listen to what they're saying a lot of the time. Generally, the more famous they are, the less you listen, because you're so freaked out about getting it wrong. Sorry, what was that? Um, you're <laughs> no, no, you're, dead, you're you're right. That's exactly yeah. it. And and, mm. and and we have these. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had these kind of fanboy moments yeah. interviewing someone. I mean, I the story I sort of always tell is like I got to speak for over an hour on the phone to Sonny Rollins, oh. and he was amazing. Yeah. And I worried about him. You know, you had to assume. I mean, well, he's eighteen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. and he's ringing from the states. Like, mm. what's it going to be like? Is there going to be a delay? Yeah, is it going to yeah, be staticky? Yeah. Is he? You know, yeah. how how sharp is he? Sharpest person I've talked to. Yeah. Clear line and happy to just keep talking indulging every kind of oh, thing I God, want yeah, so telling yeah. me telling me about doing heroin with Miles Davis when he's mm. 19 mm. telling me that he got a he got a look from Charlie Parker that said don't fuck your life up kid don't do this again really? and that, that was what made him go clean fantastic Just, you know amazing yeah. stories mm. talking about 9-11 because he was evacuated from his oh, okay. um, he was right in the thick of that like as he would yeah. lived in an apartment sort of a couple of blocks oh few really blocks. yeah so he's saved his saved his horn and got Jeez. on the bus so amazing stories and I um, you know I did my best to sort of write that up and whatever but I had about an hour an hour and a half and I I, I remember I came down the hall from the study after talking to him and Katie my wife was home and she just kind of Said, said I just walked down the hall kind of shell shocked and she and she wow. was like what you know what's that look on your face for and I was like that was fucking amazing yeah, like that was yeah. absolutely fucking amazing yeah. it couldn't have gone mm. better and my from my point of view that was you know what I kind of got into this yeah. for like yeah. when, I, when I thought I might interview people I never would have dreamed it would be to get that sort of story but in the back of my mind that's Jesus. kind of what it was all about and I then I had to kind of catch the bus and go to my day job and, mm. I, and it, mm. you know, everything kind of snapped out back into normal pretty quickly and then I had to sit down that night and re-kind re of focus and put it together. But that was amazing. Like I still, I, I can still picture myself yeah. like I was mm. kind of shell-shocked and punched yeah. drunk going down the hall. Whereas normally you hang up the phone you're like, great, yeah. next interview We've or, done it. or yeah. next task or yeah. you know whatever it is yeah. or I've got to go pick my kid up now mm. or I've Got to go to work. Yeah. It's weird when you talk to these people. I remember seeing Ricky Gervais say that when people go up to him and start talking to him and stuff, and they, they're getting mm. very effusive while they're talking, and he said, what do they think is going to happen? Do they think I'm suddenly mm. going to turn around and go, you know what? You're my new best friend. Mm. You know, mm. he said, it's not like that. It's mm. completely separate. But at the same time, you can make it feel like it's a bit, that's you know, it. it's worthwhile. Yeah, that's I, it. I spoke to um, Beth Bevan from ELO years ago, interviewed him. And as drummer, yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, again, and uh, I because I love ELO and I sort of research, I, I've done my homework before the interview. Well, what 
is 3pm disco, but ELO, really, that's perfect. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's even fine. the non-disco. Exactly. And I, and I was talking to, and I've since watched a lot of documentaries in that about that whole Birmingham scene in that. Yeah. And I mean, I love talking to anyone from Birmingham because they always sound pissed off, no matter what's going on. Mm. But I watched this documentary on uh, the move and ELO and that whole Wizard and Roy Wood and all that stuff. Mm. And they're all just these regular guys sitting with their awful, and sitting in their awful little homes, you know, and they're just being spoken to now. This is done a few years ago, and I thought, mm. you've turned out like all of us, you know, really. So you're a big deal at the time, but yeah. um, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Talking, you're talking about Katie's reaction when you did that interview. My girlfriend Gail said to me, I get home Saturday night, generally about one o'clock in the morning, Sunday yeah. morning, and I had this little ritual, and I get home and I make a cup of tea, and I come down because it's I do everything on that yeah. show and I'm updating the web page and answering emails, it's pretty full on yeah. and I love it. I'm driving the desk and everything, I'm all on my own and depending on who's reading the news, they'll make me a cup of tea or something, you know. Um, and I get home and Gail says on Sunday mornings you're never happier. When you right. get, you wake up in the morning and I've just done five hours of what I love. She doesn't even listen to the program, she listens to some of it. But she, but she says like, you, you can't wait to get in there and do it. And after 40 odd years of doing that job, it's a bit weird, isn't it? That you're still, I can't wait well, Saturday, nearly time to go to work. You that's know? fantastic, that means you're in the right, that means you've... I found the right gig. you found the right gig and you've always been working towards... Yes, yeah, I always... suppose. It, it's, I, I don't know, I don't know why it's... Um, the funny thing is, since the Saturday night, I've got this whole new respect from my brother. And, and like all little brothers, all you yeah. want from your big brother is this respect. And yeah. you want, you know, you want him to love you and you yeah. want him to appreciate what you're doing. And for years, I, Dennis joked about this a while ago. He said, for years in Wellington, it was, um, oh, you're Dennis's brother, aren't you? Yeah. Now they go to him and go, oh, you're Phil's brother, aren't you? <laughs> you know, and um, he listens on Saturday night and he'll have a few scotches and I'll get a text from him. Fantastic song. I'm playing something and I think, he's listening. I'll play this because he'll really like this yeah. now you know and it so happens that I play it for him and I'll get an email from someone else saying I really like that so oh, he liked it and they all liked it so therefore that's why I love the Saturday Night Show because I decide the whole tenure the, the way it's going for the night I get programmed about 35 minutes of requests each hour mm. so I got 55 minutes altogether of music so I got 20 minutes, maybe 50, so I get to play, pick three or four songs. So what I do is I go through and I have a look at a text, last minute request, so I can do that, or I think, no, you know what will sound good after that? Yeah, what's going to fit in with this, but be different again? Exactly. Like what's going to complement this in well, a slightly strange way or something? I yeah. got this email today from... I can this, see that from looking through yeah, some of your playlists. I know. Well, you'll see tonight. There's one comes through, this person has said... Has, uh, said um, has requested about three or four songs and got a little story about each one and then tells this fantastic Joan Armour trading story but the request I've been given to play is that one up there but I'm going to play a Joan Armour trading song after when I read yeah. the email but, and it's like you like that song, but you really like Jane. Look, why not? Yeah, yeah. We've got four minutes. I'll play it for you. Yeah, you yeah. know. And they think, oh, well, you're my hero for doing that. That's just saved me thinking of something else. Yeah, yeah you know, that's right. Sakes, come on, let's get real about it. Yeah. But it's um, it's still better than working for a living. It 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 <laughs> honestly is. It's uh, and. Uh, I won't say I'll do it. I do it for nothing because I wouldn't do it for nothing. Yeah. I used to say that. But will you, you know. do it forever? 
Oh yeah, but pretty much. But at the same time, I mean, there are some obvious things that can stop you from. from oh doing yeah, of course. It, you know, my voice is changing it, as I get older. Your, my voice is definitely happening. changing. Yeah. yeah, and my voice. I used to have an okay voice. I don't like it very much now, and I get short of breath and everything. Um, so that would stop me doing it. Yeah. Uh, because I, the last thing on earth I don't want to be going around doing eighties revival tours. Yeah. I don't want to be just hanging on, hanging on. Yeah. You know, just give me the job. I'll quit while I'm ahead. That's why I was matinee idol. Every year we go, oh, that was the best one yet, mate. Okay, let's yeah. stop now, shall we? Oh, okay, I'll do one more. We'll yeah, do one more. Yeah. But there will come a point where I'll go, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. I've, look, I live an hour away from town, so it's an hour commute over the worst hill in the world to get yeah. to work. Yeah. Um, I'm really over that. Yeah. I'm over getting stuck in town when it snows and I have to sleep in, in the office and this sort of thing. And I go... I'm just getting a little bit tired of this, you know, I'm coming up to 63 real soon. Um, quit while I'm ahead. I've got another year of this Saturday night contract to go. Whether they renew it or not, I don't know. I know it's rating. I know people are enjoying it. Um, the people who aren't enjoying it are the people who had a very specific taste and yeah. they wanted nothing but Richard Tauber. They wanted yeah. nothing but Vera Lynn. You know, yeah. don't play anything else. Don't play anything with guitars or drums in it, for yeah. God's sake. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Whereas I'm going now, you know, I'm 62. And really, they also had a specific relationship with the last host. That's they, right. They're not that was fine. They're not yeah. really let go. They're oh, they, they still write to him yeah. at his home address. Exactly. And that's fine. And I'm never going to get them. No. But, you know, times have changed, mate. You know, um, because when I got that 60-year-old requesting, I think it was Grateful Dead or something, mm. it was a perfectly legitimate request mm. you know, to be played at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, whereas my predecessor may not have done that. Um, but at the same time, this is the person grew up listening to this. Well, I was just going to say, like, we, you know, anyone can listen to anything, and it's wonderful when, you mm. know, I, I love when my three-year-old plays the Beatles. I prefer that to the oh, Wiggles, obviously, God, yeah, but, yeah. but I don't mind that he does both. Yeah. Um, and you know, seventy and eighty year olds listening to, still listening to, you know, great jazz or oh, whatever like okay. kick-ass rock mm. happens. But but actually, the people that are seventy, mm. um, which some people think is a, is an old age, yeah, but, but it's well, not. They grow they up, grow up yeah, with the Beatles right. and, exactly. and Quicksilver Messenger Service and the Grateful Dead, and it's the music it's like people. all those things you see on Facebook. And, and some one... some of it's a lot heavier than a lot of what passes for kind of good heavy music now some of the well, really great yeah and um you know that prog stuff that i get asked to play you know you've got to play mm. some emerson lake and palmer or whatever you think of emerson lake and palmer they existed yeah and people bought it oh I, I loved them i you know tarkas yeah. great album yeah. uh, fan fifth the common man sick of it don't ever yeah, want to hear yeah, it again yeah, yeah yeah you know they did better stuff that's right but then again i had a request for led zeppelin doing hot dog yeah you know, that rockabilly thing mm, that they mm. do. This is more like it. This is what, don't play Stairway to Heaven again. Exactly. I got so sick, I, I got an edited version where of Stairway to Heaven where it, it's the first two notes. Ding, ding, heaven. <laughs> and I said, it's the world's shortest version, but it will just get it out of the way. It it's yeah. four seconds long and I've played it. That's all you need to hear. And I played that and someone complained about it. But it's a <laughs> joke, you know, I'll play yeah. the whole thing if you want it. But anything off those last um, three or four Led Zeppelin albums to me on the radio now would be more interesting than anything off the Absolutely. first four albums. Even are. though those first four yeah. albums are of course great, yeah. but it's just it's just like you know mining for kind of mm. rarer treasure. You I know. know. Like, play yeah. anything off Physical Graffiti, which yeah. I think is their best album, mm. and 
you're going to find something kind of interesting and there's going to be a few people that would even say they're Led Zeppelin fans that might not know exactly. that song. You know? Yeah. But those first four albums are kind of a little bit done to death. Listen, mate, I've got that photo of Robert Plant walking out with a slow boat oh, record yeah, yeah, bag. Yeah. That's fine by me. I'll yeah. play anything of theirs. <laughs> Did Dennis ever tell you the story about getting him to sign the stuff in a there? Little, yeah, I've talked to Jeremy and Dennis yeah. about it a little bit. Yeah, and um, I, I love that photo. It sounds like he... Um, I, I, he went straight to Psychobilly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got that rec- that that compilation, yeah. and, and I thought that was pretty cool. But I, see, that's a real. All the musos go to that shop. If you're a real musician, you go to Slowbo. Absolutely. But he's one of those guys. Like um, the Sylvie Simmons told me an interesting story about him. She said that um, whatever, whatever sort of ego rock star bullshit that he went through. Mm. Um, which he definitely did because how could you not mm. when, you, and when you're God, young yeah, and you're yeah, in a band yeah. that just becomes you know <laughs> you know mm. gods golden god you know um, whatever he went through he just got over it mm. and he just dealt with it and he moved on mm. and for you know 30 to 30 to 40 years he's mm. Even while still very famous, he's been regular, yeah. you know, regular nice old Bob, who just happens to also yeah. be Robert Plant. Yeah. And he's dealt with it, yeah. and he got over it. Whereas, Springsteen's another one. He's whereas Jimmy that. Page, yeah. you know, yeah. seems like he's still a bit full of the I, idea that he's Jimmy Page. Yeah, he's a bit angry with yeah. things, yeah, yeah, I know. So, Have yeah. you read Jack Holzman's book on Electric no, Records? No, I must read that. You've got to read that because... Um, you're talking about dealing with egos of art yeah. for artists and yeah. things, and um, Holzman seems to me to be the only uh, nice man to run a record label. Wow, yeah, well, there wouldn't be many. I mean, he's got, and he's just done everything dead right. I can't remember who the band was, and he gave them all this money to go, they were going to be really big, so he said, Go and buy a van so you can move your gear around. He gave them an advance to go and get it. And the guy went out and bought a two-door Mercedes coupe. Yeah. So they came back and he gave him more money to go and buy a van. Yeah. yeah. This sort of stuff. To tell stories about Delaney and Bonnie that would make your toes curl, mate. I always <laughs> thought they were great. They were just absolute assholes. Yeah. Um, wow. And you, you hear about all these people, and you and I are in a position where we get a little bit closer to these artists yeah. and a lot of people. And you get people say, "What are they like? What are they like?" And well, they're like you, and they're like me, really. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's yeah. just it's just kind of weird, you know. It's, um, Absolutely. And uh, there's always radio and artists have always had this funny thing we always pretend that they need us more than we need them yeah. we both think like that yeah, yeah that's and right. it's it's none of it's true no. um at all uh, and back in the, the very first interview i ever got in my entire life on radio and it was at radio windy and i was about 12 or something was with roy orbison oh wow a phoner with roy orbison and he called me sir you know because <laughs> a good southern way they referred yeah. everyone as sir you know and then i got glenn campbell a couple of weeks later and all this stuff and these artists were being we were interviewing them and i was thinking this is a good job, you know, this is easy. I mean, I just get to talk to all these people. And then suddenly, it was only a couple of years ago, there was a British comedian came to town. And um, I've forgotten his name, Irish comedian, did a oh. show at Downstage, I think. Uh, what was his name? Oh, da- was it David O'Darity? David, and I always liked him, right? Yeah. And I thought, I'd love to do an interview with you. So I got in touch with his agent and said, look, he's, he's going to be guy. in town. A very funny guy. I want to do an interview with him. And she got back to me and said, no, no, the show's already sold out, so we won't do it. Wow. And I thought, that's the, that's the only reason you do these interviews. I just clicked. That's yeah. it. It's to sell tickets. You yeah. know? Look yeah. at Graham Norton's show. I mean, all they're doing on that show is selling, is flogging something. Mm-hmm. And it didn't used to be like that. You used no. to be able to talk to them. 
and they'd want to just do a generic talk about well, their music. That's what I'm hoping to do with this too, is that, you know, with time I want to get um, some touring mm. some touring guys, if they've, uh, you know, touring musicians, if they're in town for a couple of days, get them on the recorder, you know. That's if, it. We'll, we'll do our best to put it up to help plug the show if we can at the last minute. But also, yeah. you know, your fans that went to that show and have already given you money. You owe them. You owe them something I and know. they will really enjoy hearing... That's something it. more than just 10 minutes of platitude. I'll tell you what, a month ago, I got home Saturday night and I saw this Sandy Shaw CD sitting at home in the kitchen. Didn't even recognise it. And I said, the girl, what's that? She said, oh, I was cleaning out some stuff and I found it. It must have been one of yours from ages ago. Someone sent it to you, right? And I thought, see, I was like Sandy Shaw and I hadn't yeah. listened to it. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I listened to the track and I thought, shit, this isn't bad. And I went online and I found her website and I wrote to her. And yeah. I said, you don't know me from a bar or so. Listening to this stuff, especially the Chris Farlow stuff that you did, great songs, you know, really good. What are the chances of doing an interview? She's a psychotherapist now in, uh, in, was in the States. And she wrote back a couple of days later and said, my God, she said, I haven't been asked for an interview for years. I'd love to. Wow. We'll, we'll just do a phone or we'll do it on yeah. Skype or something whenever yeah. you like. So we just, well, she's on holiday at the moment. And I thought, Sandy Shaw. Now, I might get two or three good minutes and I'll play a song and my yeah. Saturday night crowd will love it. Oh, yeah. Sandy Shaw. Now, and yes. these people are hanging out for it. They're all online. Jonathan Edwards. Remember Sunshine, yeah. Jonathan yeah. Edwards? Yeah. Just listened to Honky Tonk's legendary Honky Tonk Stars Cowboy, which I was listening to today. And I had a look at his website and he's still touring. He's if you playing. want to really impress me, you'll get Bobby Gentry on the line. Bobby Gentry? <laughs> but they're easy to, but he no, just emailed them. She doesn't speak doesn't she? at all. Oh, she's, okay. I've just been reading a book about her. She's just impossible to find. Really? Apparently content, you know, um, got several um, sort of streams of revenue coming in from business publishing and, yeah. and you know, her original, mm. I guess, fame and fortune mm. and on the back of that, and but has diversified, but just, and was a mother and I think that's why she originally pulled out of the business, but no one, no, no one gets Jesus. to talk to her and it's sort of a bit of a thing, there are these people that yeah. are sort of on the hunt for her. There was someone I played last week, um, I got in it, she was New Orleans, um, big deal, been around forever, um, no, I keep thinking of Vita James. Um, can't remember her name. She's in her seventies now, anyway. Yeah. And she did a lot of work with the Meters and with the Nevilles and all. And Alan Toussaint wrote stuff for her. I'll remember her name in a minute. Not Vita Lavette. No, no, no. But I was reading about her, and it turned out that by the age of nineteen, she'd been married twice and had four kids. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, there's your New Orleans girl growing yeah, up. Yeah. She would be a dream. Imagine hearing some of those stories about yeah, some exactly. of those people. You know, yeah. when you read that about her, I thought. This is this is fantastic. But I'm doing a bit of that too, like I, you know, in printing that, like I, I, I sort of, you know, uh, try to organise my own interviews where I can because mm. usually they're more interesting. Like, you, yeah. because if you can approach someone and they are that person that hasn't had a chat for a long time yeah. or isn't expecting, mm. they usually, you know, I mean, my my favourite one I sort of talk about was talking to Mitchell Froome, oh, the yeah. producer, who yeah. I who I chased on Facebook. Did you yeah, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to him. Neil yeah. Neil wouldn't talk to me um, for my book, so and I wanted to write about, which was fair enough. Um, the Finns don't talk to you anyway. Not really, no. And so it was kind of like, what do I do? I mean, yeah. talk to the bass player, but it's not that interesting. I'll, yeah. I'll try and talk to Mitchell Froome, and I, so I emailed him. And same as what you've said about yeah. a couple of people, literally within ten mm. minutes, bang. How, here's my number. How about tomorrow? And I talked to him for an hour and a half. And after about ten minutes, I sort of said to him, you know, mostly I want, mostly we're just going to talk about Crowded House and stuff, but. Um, 
you know, I've got a bunch of other questions I want to ask. Yeah, because exactly. he, was, he was married to Suzanne Vega, who I, I know, love. Yeah. And, um, and I knew that, you know, things were all over there, but I knew that he yeah. had produced her albums, and I just wanted to talk to him about that stuff. And I said to him, do you, you know, do you mind? And do you mind if I one day sort of write it up for something? And he just said, he goes, I can't imagine anyone in your country gives a fuck about me, so if you want to talk to me, <laughs> fine, you know? Like, if you think there's yeah. an avenue, go for it. Yeah. And he thanked me at the end of it, like, this was cool. I've talked, about, I've talked about things I haven't talked about in 20 years. He talked about yeah. working with Los Lobos and Randy oh, Newman and all God, these people yeah. that I just love. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, in some cases, I didn't actually know he'd worked with. You know, yeah. like that's one of my favourite interviews because who who is going to pitch an interview with Mitchell? Just, yeah, you've <laughs> you just know? got to try. It doesn't always work. When I yeah, when I got it. the Saturday night gig, I was told I had that last hour, eleven to twelve, to do whatever I liked in there. Mm. And I was trying to think what to do. And I was talking to my brother about it. We were in Melbourne, and he said. Do what Al Cooper does. He's got a thing called New Music for Old People, mm. which is a column that he does. And I love that name, New Music for mm. Old People. It's snakes on a plane. It says it all, doesn't yeah. it, right? Yeah. New Music for Old People. So I thought, I wonder if I can use that. So I tracked him down. Like, he has his home address online, mm. you know. Mm. And I emailed him. Al Cooper, I mean, Jesus, Al Cooper, Bob Dylan, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wrote to him, dear sir, you know, I love <laughs> that program. Um, new music for old people. Could I use it? But yours sincerely love you to Mitch Phil O'Brien. <laughs> and he wrote back and he said, no, you bastard, you can't. He said, I've, I've copyrighted the name. Don't you dare unless, yeah. I'm, you know, you know, I'm not interested, not interested, but thanks for asking. Yeah. And so I wrote back and I said, okay, pushing it here. Yeah. Any chance of an interview? Still waiting on that reply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But you have to do that. I mean, because you never know. You never know. And I was just thinking when you you end up writing these emails to people, the way you put that, like, yeah. you tell, oh, you you do, tell them all about themselves. <laughs> you played the organ with Bob Dylan. <laughs> you know, like, and he's reading it. That's right. He's reading it. It's like we were I saying know. before about we know we've made mistakes. <laughs> he's reading it, going, "I fucking know, I played the." <laughs> but we're showing how smart we are. Yeah, yeah. I got to wind this up. Yeah, man. Is that all right? That's more. Okay. I'm sorry. I just I don't know. I just go off on all sorts of tangents and things. No, but, this um, is, we're going back to work. We'll edit the shit out of it, or we won't. Just do whatever you like, <laughs> please. Whatever you like.